This is a time of transformation. As old ways fall, men are called to rise, to heal our lives, grow strong, and transcend our limitations. In tribes around the world, drawing on the best of masculinity from all of time, a new day is beginning. This is the Renaissance of men. You are the Renaissance. Like a lot of guys who grew up in the 80s and 90s, I was enamored with Michael Jordan as a kid. And I remember just watching in awe and wanting to play basketball just like him. So I did what every kid would do. And I went outside and I started practicing and I would mimic my behaviors to look like Michael Jordan. I would try to move like him. I would try to shoot like him. And uh, ultimately with the goal of, I wanted to play like him. Now, clearly I didn't have the DNA or the skill set to become Michael Jordan, but I took that concept of pattern recognition further into the future. And, and as I've started to build a number of businesses, I do the same thing where I look to people who are operators, people who have gone before me and kind of laid a pattern of how to be successful. I remember not too long ago, I, I read this great book by Tim Ferriss called Tribe of Mentors. And uh, Tim had essentially gone after that same thing uh, where he was looking at pattern recognition. He sent the same 11 questions to uh, a number of influential people around the world and simply recorded their responses to those questions. You know, as rereading that book not too long ago. And that's really where the concept of uh, the idea for Essential 11 was born. I figured I'm going to take the top 11 questions that I'm getting from students. What am I getting from young people, Gen Z, kind of ages 13 to 22? What are the questions that we're getting from them around the world? And how can I get those answers from operators, not educators, that's key. Operators, people who are actually doing. And I want to get advice for our youth straight from the mouths of people who are actually making things happen. That's the entire concept of the Essential 11. That is exactly what you're doing. And so my hope is that we're able to take away these patterns, these the, the patterns of success, the patterns of behaviors that you, the listener, can now apply to your own life so that one day we'll be hosting you. You'll be on the show. Uh, and you'll be the one that we are asking thoughts around those essential 11 questions. Hello, my name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. One of the saddest and yet most appropriate jokes of the past year is that hope is a four-letter word. Over and over again in the public sphere, we've all had our hopes dashed by institutions public leaders, and events that have failed to live up to the bare minimum of the reasonable expectations we've had for them. The net result of this, at least for me, has been an occasional feeling of emptiness. But as we all know, nature abhors a vacuum. And as our formerly trusted leaders take a seat, or even a knee, more and more men are rising to take their place, not asking for permission, and building communities and a world based on their own internal values not inherited or imposed ones. If you're a parent, some of these thought lines are probably familiar to you, 
As you witness the corruption and collapse of the educational system, public schools, private schools, colleges and universities have bent the knee to woke, to masks, now to jabs, and soon to who knows what. Sending kids out of the house to be educated now is a Faustian bargain. You save or spend some money, but what of your child's mind, not to mention their soul? What about homeschooling? To some, that's an attractive option. And while I support it fully, it also puts a burden on parents who aren't professional educators, as well as on kids who benefit from interaction with peers and getting out of the house. So between the educational industrial complex and the home, is there a third choice, one that might live up to our reasonable expectations for leadership, that protects our children's minds and souls, and that maybe, just maybe, offers the chance for hope? There is, which is why I was so excited to talk to my guest this week. His name is Matt Baudreau, and he's an entrepreneur, public speaker, consultant, educator, podcast host, and founder of Acton Academy Placer and Apogee Training in Northern California. Acton Academy is a charter school based on an ancient model, Socratic dialogue led by guides instead of a curriculum enforced by administrators. And rather than focusing on test scores, Acton emphasizes real-world results and outcomes to prepare young people for the dynamic world ahead. Meanwhile, Apogee Training is an online mentorship program to help boys become good at being men, led by some of the finest examples of masculinity today, like Jack Donovan, Ryan Mickler, and more. Are we hopeful yet? In our conversation, Matt and I discussed his background and how a long journey through higher education and public school as both an administrator and educator led him to discover Acton and make it his mission. The hidden past and likely future of education so you as parents can be prepared for what's to come by knowing what was written decades ago. Matt's origin story, family values, and relationship to his Christian faith, and how they all inspire and inform his life and work. And finally, some truly mind-blowing stories about what children in his programs accomplish. To that final point, I need to emphasize, it's not easy to blow my mind, to rewire my paradigms about what's possible. In some ways, as kids, I think we all suffered under the tyranny of reduced expectations. We can't change that fact now. But what happens when we crank up the expectation for our kids? What Matt has to say about that will blow your mind, too. A quick note about the audio. I'm on an extended road trip, and Matt was my first interview guest during that time. He sounds great, but I had to learn the hard way how to get my audio to sound like this on the road. Please bear with me. And thankfully, Matt does most of the talking. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce my 30th guest on the Renaissance of Men podcast, the founder and CEO of Acton Academy Placer and host of the Essential 11 podcast, Matt Baudreau. Hey, Matt, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. It is a pleasure, brother. Glad to be here. Well, you know, I've been reviewing some of your podcasts and your Instagram account. And, uh, you know, I think where I'd like to jump in is I listened to your podcast with Dave Rubin. And there was a phrase that came up during that uh, podcast, free range parenting. And Mm. I really love the sound of that because we live in a world right now that is increasingly non-free range anything, let alone parenthood, let alone even adulthood. So I want to start off by, by jumping into this notion of free range parenting and how it dovetails with what you do at both Acton and Apogee. And then we can dig into those subjects as well. Yeah, that's interesting, man. Cause even, even now, like any other term, right. That can be taken 
a million different ways, there's kind of this spectrum that it can definitely be, be taken on. So, um, you know, I'd have to go back and listen to exactly how Dave and I were kind of using it in context and Dave's a great guy and, and been a, been a friend for a couple of years. Um, but you know, we've, there's a, a lady named Lenore Skenazy and uh, Lenore is another friend of mine. She's actually been on the podcast as well. And, and she got just raked over the coals. Um, God, man, it's probably 10 years ago. Um, was all over every, I mean, USA Today and was all over, you know, all of the, the, the big news networks because she, what she had done is she had gone um, somewhere in New York City with her nine-year-old boy at the time. And he said, mom, we do this every day. I've been doing this for years. I know how to get home. Let me go home. Let me take the subway by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, just let me go. And she's like, great. You know how to do it. Cool. This will be a great adventure for you. You're nine years old. You'll be able to get home by yourself no problem. So she took off, left him at this uh, department store, you know, in, in uh, Manhattan. And then he took the subway home and she wrote about it in this small newspaper. And it was just like, you're the worst mom in America. I threw her under the bus and she started going, no, look, like freedom was something that these young people used to have, used to have that, used to be able to just, it was that whole cliche of get out of the house, come back when it's dark kind of thing, right? And you'd go off and you'd have these adventures and you'd meet up with the other kids in the neighborhood and um, you'd explore and you'd do, right? So fast forward now into the, you know, 2021 and our society is anything but that, you know, you have people that are letting their own kids play in their own front yard and somebody next door calls CPS as, as abuse because you're putting the kids in danger because they're outside by themselves, right? you know? And so, you know, when we talk about free range parenting, it's getting back to the understanding that kids need that to some level, to some degree. We don't ever advocate putting kids in ultra dangerous situations, but we ask people to parent uh, intentionally and look at what's really going on versus, you know, the perception versus the reality. If you look at statistics, this is the safest time ever to be a kid. Right. You know, and so we, I think we kind of go down that rabbit hole. And so, you know, Acton is a huge believer in freedom and, and uh, you know, teaching kids that responsibility and freedom are linked. Mm-hmm. You have freedom on campus as long as you are responsible. If you are not responsible, you are not free. If you're not free, you're not responsible. Those two things are linked. And we think that's a big part of the message in society as well. And so we want them to experience that you know, early on. And then when you get into Apogee, well, then that's a whole different thing. That's, that is, uh, taking that to the next degree of creating these young individuals that not only are going to revel in freedom, they're going to lead others into it as well. So they're two, you know, they're two sides of a similar coin. Now, how do you, how do you instantiate that in the classroom and act in or, or in Apogee as well? Because it can be very tough for a lot of kids today, particularly in the COVID era, to begin emerging, especially boys. I think boys over the past several generations have been, have felt the walls close in on them more and more. Certainly I did as I was growing up. And so is there a challenge with getting boys to open up and to begin to take intellectual risks? Uh, it depends on the parents. Okay. Uh, it's the parents, mm-hmm. right? And that's what we talk about. So boys, is there a challenge for them? No, inherently no. If that boy has gone through 10 years of public schooling, he's gone through 12 years of public schooling. If he's included college in there and you've gone through 16 years of that, then yeah, you're looking at an almost impossible task sometimes because they've been castrated early, often, and they've been told, you always need to bow to this authority. There's going to be somebody, you're going to outsource your thought. They're going to tell you what boxes to check. We're going to tell you what things to do. So when I talk about public school being dangerous, it's dangerous partly because of that. 
Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous for boys and girls, but boys especially because they're squirrely and they want to get out and they want to move and they've got, you know, the natural aggression and they got these this natural natu- natural uh, curiosity and, um, and, and we just squash it. And that's, by the way, part of the intent yeah. of the public school system. Not the teachers necessarily or the administrators. I'm very pro them. They're usually phenomenal human beings, but is the intent of the system is to castrate the minds of our young boys and girls, period, end of story. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, our young boys definitely suffer from that. So we've got to be the antithesis of that. And by the way, that's what I, you know, I'm talking about how college does the same thing. I get paid a lot of money to go work with organizations. These are Fortune 500s who are saying, hey, we've got a bunch of college graduates they suck. We want to fire them all. They know how to play school. We don't want them here anymore. Can you help them change their mind? And that's, that's really what I get brought in to do is to help them understand all of these things that really we should be preparing them for, but we've got broken individuals by that point, right? So Acton's whole approach is the antithesis of that. So we don't have teachers. We have guides. You know, we have mentors that are on the side of them. They're not going to stand there and lecture. Now people go, okay, wait a second. Well, if they're going to not lecture, how do you how do you learn anything? You learn by doing. You learn through experience. So we've got projects, both individual and collaborative, that are set up for these young people to actually experience things they want to experience. We've got these mentors acting in a Socratic fashion where they're watching all this play out and they're just continuously asking questions without an assumption of an answer. They're not providing the answer. They're not providing their own agenda or their own opinion. We're asking for those opinions to be substantiated by what you're doing. Um, We're asking them to learn how to set their own goals and decide what those goals are and then go after it. And then people go, okay, well, Isn't it just anarchy? Isn't it just chaos? Well, no, we're actually asking those young heroes to also provide the structure, to provide feedback to one another, to monitor each other's character, and then to provide the consequences if that character is not met. To say, yeah, I want all of these freedoms and go, okay, cool. What are the responsibilities you have on campus then in order to earn those freedoms? And if you eschew any of that, well, then what's the consequence? We ask them to design that. The student. We ask the students to design that, exactly. And so what you see is a structure absolutely takes place, but it's a structure that they believe in, that they design, that they hold on to. It's character that they want to uphold, and they see that they have the power to uphold it in a way like, I've got two two students in high school over these last two months that have been let go. By let go, we look at it like a workplace, right? We don't, because we're not a school. We're a workplace for young people. Oh, that's, so that's a great those young and they let go to high school students, which means I, as the owner, refund those, the money to the parents, right? They let the students go because the students decided not to hold, uphold their end of the contract, their end of the bargain. So our students said, okay, well, you didn't uphold this. Here's what we'd like to see, right? There was conversations prior to, and we're saying, hey, we'd like you to see, we'd like to see this from you. And if you can do this by this time, you know, we're, we're going to come alongside you. And those students didn't hold up the end of the bargain. So they had to go. And so then the students wrote the emails to the parents and said, hey, look, this is why we let your kids go. And we love them and we hope nothing but, you know, but the best. And, and we back them on that. It's a completely different, it's a completely different thing. It's a completely different mindset. I'm, I'm, my headphones are on my head and they're literally yep. holding my brain into my ears. <clears throat> For so- sure. 
So, so let me see if I understand this. The students, these, these two students that you let go, I don't mm-hmm. know, we'll call them Bob and Mary, or that, is, it all, is it all boys? It's all boys. Right? Uh, no, so our campuses are, are boys and girls. Okay, so Bob and Mary oh, designed yep. their own. It was a boy and a girl. The, designed their own accountability kind of program. This is what, what I'm going to do. This is what we're going to do. And these are the consequences if we don't hold up our end of the bargain. We'll get into the whole accountability thing and how enormous that is in a second. But for now, they said this is what they were going to do. They did not perform to their own standard. And then the other students in Bob and Mary's cohort said, Mm -hmm. we are going to let you go because you are not performing up to the standards that you set for yourself. Yep. And that we have set for each other. So we have set, so as a, you set your individual journey for yourself and your goals for yourself. And then collaboratively, we decide hey, as a unit, this is what we want to do. Here's how I will always support you. Here's my promise to you that I will uphold my standards for myself, right? That is part of it. I uphold the responsibilities here. Like we're all taking responsibility for helping younger students. We're all taking responsibility for some of the jobs on campus. We're all doing this collaboratively. We all have our individual parts. If any one of these parts, I'm not living up to my own personal expectations, the expectations of how I pour back into the group, a mix and match of any of those, there are consequences for that all the way up to termination of my time here. And that's exactly what happened. So how does that, how does that go down? I, I really, I, I want to get into the actin and the Apogee models as well, but so, so people begin to have some context, but I'm super curious how that actually plays out in real time. Like, is it like, the kids all get together in front of some council and, 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 and something takes place. Is there some formalized process? Is it, are the parents there and involved in watching Bob and Mary go through this? Is this is like, are the students alone? Are they supervised? Do they have adults in the room? Like what's paint the picture for me? Cause this is, this is incredible. This is what yeah. I'm so it's a, it is a, it is a very nuanced, difficult picture um, to paint because it is so uh, systemically driven by by what we do here. So to really actually give you the context, I've got to kind of start almost earlier in the process. Please. So, you know, from, from the start, so like yesterday we had our open house. Our open house is an informational session for parents who are interested in putting their kids in to one of our, one of our campuses. Okay. So they will come here. And what I tell them right from the get go is that I will try, I am trying to get all of them to leave the parents, because it starts there. It mm-hmm. starts with the parents. The parents are the hardest part because mm-hmm. the parents, like you and I, grew up going to school. Mm-hmm. Right. So everything we think of is school. And what I'm telling them is that, no, this is a workplace for young people. Mm-hmm. That's different, which means it operates vastly differently, which means we're operating in a vastly different mindset, which means the systems we're integrating are vastly different, which means it will expose you as parents to how you parent. Mm -hmm. Are you parenting in the same way that we are going to lead this young person to live their lives? So we're talking about the hero's journey. We're talking about Joseph Campbell's work. We're talking about going through struggles and overcoming that. Are you going to support that young hero as they're making those decisions? So there's a whole developmental structure that needs to take place, right? So we're trying to make it so that they don't actually come back because it's too overwhelming for them. They don't want the responsibility of having to parent that intentionally at home. And they, or they want to be the helicopter parent, right? And and we're like, nope, that's not going to work either. So if you're on either one of those spectrums of, I don't want to be involved at all, or I want to be the helicopter, you got to get out. 
I want to have all the answers, right? Yeah, I want to have all the answers. That's it. If you're looking for school, we're going to tell you academics is the key to success, which is bullshit. I mean, that's it's bullshit. Can I say bullshit on your podcast? Okay, you can cool. say bullshit. bullshit. On my podcast. Right? Okay, cool, man. So academics being that the end all be all right. is is provable bullshit, right? So right. if you're going to be that, if it's college or bust, also a dumb, also a dumb way to look at things, especially in 21st century. So I try to put all that up front to make sure we've got the right kind of people in place. Mm -hmm. Then they come in, let's say they come in at five years old. At that early age, all we are honing in on is character and self-awareness and learning how to make decisions. It's really those, those few things. Those are prioritized over academic achievement. Those are prioritized like crazy over academic achievement. How do I understand myself? How do I start to understand my emotions? My five-year-old is coming home right now and he's telling all of us about his hippocampus and what that does. And, <laughs> right. And it's a fun way to learn it about this hippo and all this kind of shit. But it's, it's so that he starts to understand his emotions. He can identify, you know, he starts to identify a fear loop. He starts to identify, you know, self-conscious behavior. He starts to identify the things that gets him really excited, the things that make him mad, the things that like, he starts to identify those things about himself. He's got a ton of play during the day to test all of these things out and see how this goes and see how it goes when I'm playing with you and things get a little aggressive. Do I get fearful? Do I get pissed? Do I get, we let them get a little rough, especially mm-hmm. the young guys at the young age, you'll see them out wrestling in the field during um, our breaks. We that's think great. that's great, yeah. right? Public school, it's like, no, you're going to the principal's office. We're like, no, that's great. They need to do this part. There's a pecking order and they're figuring all of this kind of stuff out. So we wanted to prioritize that. We want them to prioritize character and understanding that treating other people the right way matters, right? And so a lot of their contract that they learn to develop is a contract of, of behavior that they sign to be there is around character. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come here and be my best version of myself. Right. We also want them to understand how to make choices. So at that age, we don't just say, oh, the world's your oyster. Shit, go make choices. You're sovereign at five. You'll figure it all out. No, the adults in that response go, okay, here's good choice A, B, C, D, and E. Those are all really good choices right now. Um, whether that's you know a play-based opportunity or a, a Montessori type manipulative or uh, you know an art-based project over here or an individual building project over here, whatever that is, we just provide a bunch of choices that are all good choices and then let them make the choice. We don't give them options, you know, LMNOP because those are all bad options. So we're not giving them those up. We're giving them those good options. So they learn to make choices. They learn to identify who they are and they learn that character matters, right? Mm-hmm. As they get a little older, then you start handling a little more responsibility. So the upper age studios are still interacting. Then we start integrating Socratic conversations too. And a Socratic conversation is again, learning to make a decision, but it's maybe it's a hard one. You got to take a hard stance. And we start integrating the rules of engagement, which is this is how you actually have a productive conversation, Mm -hmm. right? These are the rules of a productive conversation, which include the fact that I'm going to listen to Will. Will's going to say some shit that I vehemently disagree with, but it's okay. I'm not going to get emotional about it. I'm going to go, interesting, Will, give me your evidence for that. Will's going to go, okay, well, Matt, give me your evidence for your side. And we're going to talk about that back and forth. I'm going to be open-minded enough to go, all right, well, Will had better evidence than me. So maybe I'll change my mind. Mm -hmm. We'll both be open-minded enough to go, you know what? I still agree with my point of view. I understand your point of view. You still agree with yours, but 
high five, we're still buddies. We can still go get along even though we have different agreements, right? You start to integrate that kind of thing so that you're not competing against somebody else. You just look into understanding. You understand how to have a healthy conversation, which means we can now talk about anything, politics, mask or no mask, <laughs> vaccine or no vaccine, your religion, my religion, George Floyd, doesn't matter what the hell it is, we can have the conversation and it's okay, mm -hmm. right? We can move forward. We can understand each other. We can have civil discourse, right? Like that actually takes place. And we start to do that in those elementary studios. We also start integrating the goal setting side of things. So now they're setting their own goals around what they want to get done every week. Will's nine and Matt's nine, but Will is freaking rock star at math and loves it. So his goals for math are way the hell up here and he's going after it. Matt thinks math sucks and I just want to write stories and I want to read all day. Cool. The parents, this is where they come in and can support. They've got to be on board with what's going on. They have access to see everything that their young people are doing and they're supporting at home going, hey, I'd, I'd really like to see you take on more math. Cool. You guys have that conversation. Our guides are just going to support the young hero and what they're saying their decisions are. We're going to be the mentor on the side. How can we get more information? What can we do? And we'll provide extra challenges. Cool. Maybe Matt doesn't like to do traditional math related things where he's teaching himself through Khan Academy or he's using Khan, but I'm also connecting with an older student who's tutoring me and helping me out. Maybe I don't like that so much. My 10 year old doesn't like to do any of the traditional math kind of stuff. But you know what she likes to do? She likes to do these projects that we have too, that we'll invite them to take on. And one of the projects is to build out your own restaurant. And then you have to source materials of what it would take to actually build out a restaurant. You got to create a menu and create pricing and understand like, hey, at what point will we get to profitability in this restaurant? You're going to have to create a P&L for what that would look like and kind of project out, you know, at what point do I... So for her, that's her math. Mm -hmm. awesome. That's amazing. Me as the parent, I'm cool with that, right? So all of these systems start getting integrated and the older they get, the more we include more responsibilities on campus, tutoring others, helping others, cleaning up around campus. Our high schoolers work with an executive chef, learn how to cook food. They're responsible for cooking the food for the people that order lunch right? So the older you get, the more responsibilities you take on and you're still doing your own individual journey. You're creating your own academic path. You're deciding if you want to take on multiple individual projects as well. And then we add in the layer of collaborative projects and that's where the guides go. Okay, cool. You guys are all working on your individual stuff. That's awesome. For the next six weeks, you're also going to collaborate around electricity. And this is a real one we just did here. Um, and so um, high school students, by the end of the six weeks, we're going to have an exhibition, which means we're going to invite parents. We're going to invite the community in. We're all going to come in and have an exhibition of your work. Your goal is to have designed a city and bring electricity to the whole thing. That's Ready, go. Ready, go. So it's nonlinear. We just go, here's your outcome. How do you want to get there? So these guys have to come together and go, okay, first, well, how are we going to build a city? Are we going to do this out of Legos? Are we going to 3D print the whole thing? Are we going to build it out of wood? Um, maybe it's a mix of both. It ended up being a mix of all of those things, right? For them as they, they put this whole city together. Oh, by the way, 
um, the elementary studio is going to be creating water wheels. Um, and that's what they're going to be doing as far as electricity. And they're going to figure out how, how to create electricity out of a water wheel. And they, but you need to be able to integrate that into your city. So just be ready. Right. And so then middle schools creating this whole planning committee and creating these planning grids, high schools creating the actual city themselves. They're all figuring out together how to connect the whole city. And then how are we running electricity in the first place? Is the water wheel going to handle all of this? Probably not. We need to get these other circuits. At the end of the day, we have all these people on campus and we got to flip the lights on. And if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, okay, figure out what went wrong. All of that's real learning. If you start putting a rubric and you start putting grades associated with it, you don't get, you assume a linear fashion for everything, right? We don't assume that because that's not what life rewards. Life rewards doesn't, life doesn't reward this linear thinking. Life rewards outcomes, mm -hmm. rewards results. So we go, this is the results you got to shoot for. You figure out how to make that happen, right? And they do. And if they fail, then they fail but they learn something in the failing. They go back and figure out how to fix that. It's a real world experience. They didn't fail with a, a wife now that they're letting down or kids that they're not feeding. They didn't lose a job. They failed in a safe spot. They failed forward. They failed trying something and they learned something to take on to the next quest. So it's this whole progression that takes place. Whereas these young people have a completely different mindset around who I am as an individual, who I am in the collective, and it all starts with that personal responsibility. So of course, there are repercussions in place if you are not living up to your end of the bargain because everybody is going to suffer if you suck. It's just like society. Mm -hmm. Other people around you suffer if you don't take on your personal responsibility. Amen. So it truly creates a community in that way, right? So. Um, it's so multifaceted, you know, it's, it, it is a completely different way of, of educating. But when I tell people it's just like the real world, as far as life and work and all of that, then you can more easily see the, the connections. You know, I'm, as you're, as you're saying all this, I'm really struggling with a lot of things. And one of the things that I'm struggling with is I had one of the best educations that money can buy in America for the time when I grew up. I went to a Jesuit, a Jesuit high school. Yep. I went to Stanford University. This was mm -hmm. not a cheap education. When were you at Stanford? Uh, I 1996, and then I was there until 1999, and then I left to do a dot com startup for a couple of years, and that was a really cool experience, real okay. world failing forward. And okay. then I went back for a year between 2001 to 2002, so roughly 96 to 2002. Okay, so I was there not too long after you working there for, for quite a while, not too long after you left. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Just missed each yeah. other. Yep. But I'm, I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this education that I was very blessed to have and that, and that, uh, that I tried to make the most of. And as, as you're articulating this vision of what education can be for kids, I'm, I'm feeling sadness. I'm like, I wish I had that. I would have we really all got screwed. liked that. We all got screwed, man. Yeah. We, oh. did. we got screwed. And because what you described is you went to a good school. Yes. Yes. And what most people do is they go to school and what yeah. most places are, are schools. What we're talking about is education It's a vastly different thing, right? It's self-education is the only education and understanding how to educate yourself and understanding how to learn what is now relevant, how to unlearn. This is a bigger one that people miss all the time. How do you unlearn something that is no longer relevant? Mm -hmm. How do you deprogram yourself? 
when something is no longer relevant? How many people do you know that still say kids should learn to balance their checkbook? That's not a Which bad you, idea, but no. Right. But the reason is, I mean, I would say it is a bad idea because there's no such thing as a freaking checkbook now. That's true. Kids need to learn how to manage finances. Yes, that's that's a bad That I agree. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so, but we get stuck in these, this is the way it's always been. This is the way I've always done it. Mm -hmm. That's dangerous too. So how do you learn to have the mindset of going, okay, wait a second. This no longer makes sense. Do you use a, you know, when you and I have been communicating to get this podcast set up, not once did you send a message to my pager. Mm Mm-hmm. Know why? Nobody uses a fucking pager. No, I, I did not. Right? Yeah. We did. We had emails. We did DMs. We've done like, right? Like that's relevant. And 10 years from now, this iPhone right here that's a magnificent tool is going to be as relevant as a pager. Who knows what some, you know, something else will be in place. Right. So our ability at that point to go, okay, well now this is no longer, this is a Blackberry or this is a pager. So we no longer use this. We use whatever the tool is. Means I've got to deprogram myself from needing this That happens across the board in everything. Mm -hmm. So we need to have the ability to do that too. School never changes. It hasn't in a long time. Right. Education changes every day. School never does. Mm -hmm. That's the difference. This this gets into a subject that I talk about very often with my friends, which is I look at what's happening in the world today, uh, 2020, 2021, which is the progressive, and maybe that that world was unintentional, but like it, it applies cascading failure of all these institutions one by one, whether it be, you know, media, whether it be uh, government in its own ways, science, medicine, education, and education sort of like, it's kind of the last one that many people think about, but now it's really up for a lot of people recognizing like, wait a minute, I see the stuff that's being pumped into my head as an adult every day through social media and, and through, through the television and through just conversation. Well, I'm not okay with that entering my head. What's entering my kids' heads? And I have so many friends who have kids at various stages of their lives who come back, who begin spouting these ideas or who don't know how to pass basic proficiency exams. And it's like, Mm -hmm. wait a minute, what's going on there? What's going on in the educational system from K through 12 and also even into university and postgraduate and all this stuff. And it seems like I was really surprised to discover uh, your content because and, and, the, and the things that you promote because I, I thought that no one was thinking about this education question or mm-hmm. it, it, I didn't really need, have any need to go looking for it because I don't have kids. But then when yeah. I discovered what you were doing, then it was like, oh, someone's actually, someone's been thinking about these things. Yeah. How awesome is that? And thinking really yep. hard about them. Yep. Yeah, no doubt, man. I mean, that was big, you know, just on the, on the personal side, that was the impetus for me as I was in, you know, I was at, I was at, like I mentioned, I was at Stanford for a long time, right? And I'm working with all of these students and I got to, I had the the pleasure, I've had this unique, a unique background in so many different ways that has illuminated uh, for me so clearly everything we are doing here and why this ends up being our mission. So mm-hmm. part of that is this the time at Stanford, right? And getting to work in the position that I did, I worked with everybody. I worked with students, I worked with parents, I worked with the professors, I worked with uh, the administration, I worked with the athletic teams, I got to work with everybody there. And then I also got to work in admissions. So getting to see that, I got to see what a game it is at the admissions level. Mm-hmm. Um, how it's not necessarily a fair game. It's yeah. not the game everybody thinks that it is. Um, and it's, and I also got to watch all of these things play out and understand the agendas that take place, even at a, you know, quote unquote, 
uh, elite school and, you know, you kind of got to see all this stuff. So I'm going, okay, well, but I'm still interested in this whole education thing. So then I became a public school teacher and you start seeing, you know, the, here's how I'm helping kids, but I'm also getting this because I'm not doing what I'm told on, you know, this kid's in a gang and I'm helping him change his mindset and change his life. And they're like, no, algebra is going to change his life. And I'm like, how about me getting him to understand he shouldn't be selling drugs at home? Like there's a different thing. He doesn't need algebra right now. He needs some other shit, but they're like, no, no, no. He needs algebra because we need funding and our funding depends on his ability to do algebra. It's like, well, okay. There's other issues that, that, that you know, they're at stake here. Right. So yeah, I'm going to go into it. Or did. So I'm going to go into administration because boy, when you're in administration, then I can run the site how I see fit. And then things are going to change. I went into administration and you see, wait a second, this whole public school game is another game. It's all about politics. It's all about money. It has nothing to do with human development. You get your credential, you're taught to perpetuate the system. You're not taught developmentally what these people need. Because it's a mass system. It's the largest monopoly we have in this country. 92% of our people go through public school. That's a monopoly. Yes. In all, every sense of the word, right? So it's a monopoly. And when when you have a monopoly that is providing a free product, the humans are the product. (laughs) This sounds familiar. Shit, right? Exactly. So the humans are the product. So you start seeing this like, man... So then I start diving in. Well, why do we do the way, you know, do this the way we do it? Why, if this isn't about development, doesn't follow developmentally, why? Why culturally are we facing? You start to find out that this has been intentional from the get-go. For years, since public school was instituted, it was developed to be this slow boil for humanity where we can start to culturally indoctrinate people, where we can start to dumb down society, where we can start to lower expectations, where we can start to create assholes for all intensive, you know, and not smart ones, right? Mission accomplished, dude. You can see that that's the case, you know, in society right now. So I'm going, man, all right, well, I got to go to private then. I go to private school. You figure out private schools. There's still the agendas. There's still the money. It's usually just has to do with a board or donors or whatever. They mimic public school because they don't want to be seen as too different because they're scared. So again, it's not really solving the whole develop, you know, developmental kind of process. And then I got the chance to start dovetailing off as I'm speaking out in education, I got to start dovetailing off. And all of a sudden I'm working with hundreds of fortune 500 companies that are telling me all these things too, that they're not seeing from their Harvard, Stanford, and MIT grads. So I have this unique perspective of understanding the game from all these different sides, how it's screwing shit up from a, you know, post-graduation level. Um, And so I'm going, now I have my own children well, this is not okay. They're not going to be going into this. Is anybody doing this right? Is anybody paying attention? And I find this very small group of people in this very small network at the time that is going, you know, it's a bunch of people like me that are going, look, we're seeing it. We're seeing it from an entrepreneurial standpoint. We're seeing it from a business standpoint. We're seeing it from a cultural standpoint, from a parenting standpoint, and we're trying to do something about it. And I went, Hey, let me be part of this network. And, you know, now we are becoming this global movement uh, of people from all all kinds of backgrounds that are going, hey, we're gonna we are going to build the better model. You can't break the public school system. Um, it is it is too big. It's like trying to shift the Vatican. You're not going to do it, right? Right. So you build a better model, and that's what we're doing. So talk a bit about. I mean, you've already spoken 
a bit about the model and about the, how it's a it's a workplace for for children, not necessarily a school. And you've you've compared mm-hmm. and and contrasted that. Well, say yep. say more about about the model and sort of where it came from. And you already answered my question because I was going to ask, how did you find your way into this into this world of education? And you've since answered it. Thank you very yep. much. So yep. now you found your way into into this into this new model. What was the new yep. model? Where did it come from? And, and yeah. what really what really attracted you to it was yeah. digging into the meat of it. You know what's interesting is it's not it's not even a um, you know people say this is the new model or this is like the alternative school. Yeah, we're the alternative to the school system. We're not new in any regard because this is just how human beings learn. Right. <laughs> you know, like so so that's what's interesting, right? Is so you know, and I use this example a lot too. My boy's five wants to do wants to do jujitsu. Public school, traditional school, schooling model says, cool, if you want to do jujitsu, then we need to sit you down. We need to, uh, you know, start telling you all the different, we'll give you, I want you to start learning how to spell all the names of all the moves. We want you to be able to write them down. We want you to do a report in MLA format, by the way, um, of all the, you know, your favorite jujitsu player of all time and the history of jujitsu and how it came to be. Um, We want you to do a trifold board, uh, you know, about all of the different guys that are jujitsu players now. Um, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, tell us about you doing jujitsu. And if, like, it's all of this theoretic bullshit. We go, well, I think if you want to learn how to do jujitsu, then what you should probably do is do jujitsu. Sounds, sounds pretty reasonable. Novel freaking concept, yeah. right? Yeah, amazing. And, and that's what Acton is doing, mm-hmm. is getting back to, cool, if you want to learn how to do something, you do it. Mm-hmm. Right, you do it. Yep. That's how you figure it out. For all, and again, it's obviously more complex than that. But this, you know, as simplistic as I can get, is that's it. So, I was speaking in um, South Carolina, and I'm speaking to a group of professors, and I'm going, "Hey, this is the kind of shit that is wrong with everything you guys are doing. You know, everything that education's about." And and I'm, ch- you know, I'm not there to berate them. I'm there to try to help them with a paradigm shift, right? Mm-hmm. I get done with all of it. This professor from, uh, from South Carolina university, she's like, Hey, I love everything you're talking about. Um, I'm actually moving. I'm going to take on a position as a professor at UC Santa Cruz, uh, back where you're, you know, near where you are in California. Um, and we're going to be putting on a TEDx. I would love for you to come speak about, you know, any organizations that are maybe doing this kind of the way you're talking about. Is there anybody? Um, and I was like, well, there's a couple that I think are, are trying to push the boundaries. I'm, I'm not in love with really any of them. And she goes, okay, cool. I've heard about this other network based out of Texas called Acton Academy. You might want to look into them too. I'm like, cool, I will check them out. So that's that was my introduction to Acton. Mm-hmm. So I started looking, I started seeing, well, Acton started actually more as an MBA. It, it was an MBA program first. So Acton's MBA program is still in existence. Um, which again, takes on the same mentality of, well, start a business, like novel concept. So you want to learn how to run a business? You want to learn how to run a business? Well, you're going to start one and you're going to run it and see what happens. Yeah. Maybe it's part of the reason why if you go fast forward five years post MBA, uh, Acton Academy MBA graduates, about 70% of them will be running a profitable business five years after graduation. If you were to take a look at the collective of like Stanford, Princeton, Harvard, MITs, all of those MBA programs, do you know what their percentage is five years out? 15. Four. Because <laughs> they're operating in theory, right? Four. So it's so it starts out as this MBA program first. 
And then the founders uh, of this MBA program had their own kids and they're like, well, shit, maybe we should try something on the K through 12 side Mm -hmm. and just kind of see if we can do the same sort of thing. And they did. And wildly successful, one of the families had to leave moved to California and they said, Hey, can we try to replicate it out here? And they're like, okay, well, we don't want to develop a franchise, but if you want to network with us and we can just kind of go back and forth on anything else you're integrating, anything we're integrating and trying, and we can just help each other just continuously get better. Maybe we do that. And then somebody else wanted to do it and they're like, yeah, cool. So maybe we can do that. And so the network was kind of born out of that. Right. And so when I went and visited them in Texas at the K through 12, um, you know, they're only a handful of years in with a handful of locations. Um, but what I witnessed was actual human development. I witnessed, you know, young people in the middle school leading meetings, like it was Google and the adult was there, you know, I was there for two hours. The adult didn't say a word. They were just watching the flow. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. I have to be a part of this network. Um, and and that's where it started. Have you seen the movie Captain Fantastic? Dude, I just had somebody say that to me last week. Yeah. Um, and I have not yet seen it, but they're like, you have got to go see it. You're going to love it. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, I got, I've got that on the, and I'm going to have to. Viggo Mortensen. And yeah, I got to check it out. Well, there's a, there's a lot of reasons why that movie is really good, but yeah. it's at the very beginning. So this won't spoil anything for anyone, I don't think, is that Viggo Mortensen, this is, you can probably read about this in IMDb, Viggo Mortensen and his wife take, his, take their children out into the forest somewhere in Northern California, and they raise their kids completely, completely off the grid. You know, mm-hmm. not even homes, they live out of a bus or some sort of like geodesic dome that they build. Yeah. And so it's not really homeschool, it's like forest yeah. school, because they don't really, you know, like that. Yeah. And at the beginning of the film, you see these kids and you, and uh, by this point, I don't know that the mother's in the picture by this point, uh, but Vigo's interacting with his kids and they're, the oldest one is like maybe 17 and they go all the way down to like maybe eight or something like that. Like there's four or five kids. And to see the way that these kids talk, think, write about, you know, discuss the books that they're reading, like the eight-year-old is reading like Dostoevsky or something like that, you know? And to, to get this picture, it's like, Oh, that's some crazy Hollywood, Hollywood shit about what's possible if you have, you know, it really switched on yeah. teaching the kids. Ah, no, that's, that's yeah. preposterous. It's science fiction. Yeah. And to hear you describe acting, it's like, no, that's very real. And kids are way smarter than we give them the opportunity to be. Dude, you, what you, what that movie, just that experience, I'm sitting here, I got chills, dude, as you're describing that whole thing. You know what you just described? You described almost everybody a hundred years ago. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. That's what you described. We just have been trained out of that. So we no longer realize that's the case. Somebody said to me at one point, and I don't remember who it was. I wish I could give credit, but I believe it wholeheartedly. They said, if we started taking children away from their parents at like six months of age and started making them go to school every day and made it a mandatory thing at six months old, it would only take one generation before people truly believed their kids had to go away to school at six months to learn how to walk. Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. They absolutely would believe that. Yeah, of course. We've been trained that same thing that you've got to have this certain thing, this certain process. It's got to start early. There's a thing called grade level. Um, You know, all of this bullshit and we can, we've just continuously lowered all of these standards. One of the things that we talk about, and this is, you know, an apogee, we talk about it a ton um, but it's definitely something that plays out at the act and things. And we talk about the fact that the term teenager 
<laughs> didn't even exist. Yep. Before the 1940s. Yep. It was invented. It didn't even exist. Crazy, so right? we've now used it as this cultural excuse to lower the bar. And now what's happening is we're continuously lowering the bar more and more and more. We're delaying what we consider the adult trends and adult abilities. We're delaying all that, which is why we now have 30-year-olds that are living at home with mom and dad fucking playing video games all day. Yeah, because the expectations are so low. Because the expectations are so low. That's it. We've got our business fair coming up this weekend um, here uh, on this campus. And so we've got all of our young heroes who are either have either created a new business this year or have taken their existing businesses into perpetuity. And we have a big fair to highlight those. A lot of them have been, the ones that have been taken into perpetuity, they've been making money in these businesses all year long. I mean, that's, this is real revenue for them. Mm-hmm. And they will make a lot of money that, that day, right? But I listened to my 10-year-old and I listened to my eight-year-old who have now been here for multiple years. This is the only place they've ever gone, right? So they don't know any different. Mm-hmm. And I listened to them earlier this week as they calmly, confidently got on the phone and they've created a marketing agency is kind of, that's what they wanted to test out this year, right? As a marketing business. And so what, uh, my, the eight and the 10 year old, I can have a marketing business. Okay. And so okay. they, they have contracted with local food trucks to bring the food trucks to the business fair. And they negotiated like, Hey, we're going to create some, um, flyers. We're going to create some social media commercials. We're going to create all of this stuff for you. The day of the fair, we're just going to make sure we're handing out the flyers. We're pointing everybody to your business and they are on the phone negotiating. So, you know, if we can do this, we get you locked in. We're estimating this many people. What is the percentage of revenue that, you know, we can get kicked back? You know, would you be comfortable with whatever, you know, 10% of, of your profits for that day, getting kicked back to the marketing agency for hiring you for bringing you on for doing this right. And I just listened to them negotiate their rates, their fees and set up with these other adults to have them on site. <laughs> and here's what we're going to do in return. And they just got off the phone. It was like, okay, cool. You know, thank you very much for your business and we'll shoot you an email. And this sounds great. Okay. Dad, what's for dinner? You know what I mean? But it's literally that it's just normal for them. That's normal. Yeah, and, and what was really striking about the way that you tell the story is just how normal it is for them. And and I can picture it, and there's this cognitive dissonance in my brain. It's like, wait a minute, an eight and a 10-year-old negotiating on the phone with adults, and the adults are, they're clearly taking them seriously. The adults, the adults must know that you're on the phone as well, right? Or are you just kind of like listening in the back? I wasn't on the phone. You were just, you weren't on the phone at all. You're just listening. I was in the room. I wasn't on the phone. Oh my God. Yeah, man, that's, and that's just normal. So, which again, by the way, that's a product of what we do at Acton, but it's also a product of how we parent. And that's why the parenting things is, you know, that's why it's so important. You know, I always tell the story too, the fact that we've got horses on our property. um, And that's great because, you know, there's the responsibility that comes along with having the horses and all this kind of stuff. But I make it very clear that people know the reason we have horses is because my daughters were really interested in horses and then they worked to make the money to buy the horses. I didn't buy the horses. They bought horses because they wanted horses. How old are your daughters? My daughters are 10 and 8 now and we've had horses for a year. So, Oh, okay. So you're both kids. Wait. You, you must experience this a lot when you tell parents or adults that your kids like earned the money to pay for their own horses. Like you must experience this kind of experience that I'm having right now. It's like, I, really? Yeah. 
I experience it a lot. If it's uh, if it's an acting campus or I talk to acting parents that have been in the, you know, in it for a while, they're like, that's awesome. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, because that's just, it's the expectations, you know, and, and it's that, and it's not, that's not a slave labor thing. My kids are the most calm, confident, happy young people you'll ever meet. That's the thing, right? You're seeing this huge rise. I got a, I got a message this morning from a, a pediatric, from a pediatric nurse. And let me see if I'm looking this up because I want to read it directly from, from what, what she wrote to me today. Um, she says, yeah, I'm a pediatric nurse. I'm horrified. You know, with all this masking, they continue to treat children like they're diseased. It used to be in my career, one or two kids would be admitted into the emergency department due to mental health crisis. But now it's a normal, it's normal to see half the emergency room filled with kids who are terrified for their future. They're, they practice self-harm. They were attempting suicide. I don't hear anything about this on the local news, right? And it's not just, she sent me that this morning and it's not just the the pandemic situation and our response to the pandemic situation and all of that kind of garbage. It's literally the fact that we are handicapping kids from being who they are. So they're not happy because they're not actually able to do anything. They're not actually able to fulfill this inherent DNA driven thing where you want to actually put forth some effort and overcome something and have some challenges and get some victories and you know, you just start to see the world is this, you know, it's this amazing thing and I'm ultra capable. And we start going, no, 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 no. You're not capable. Listen to this adult. You're not capable unless you can read this word by the time you're five. And we're, if you can't do it, we're going to tell you you're dumb. Um, if, you know, you're behind, we're going to say words like behind and make you think that you're, you know, you're not smart when you're actually a, a genius. Uh, and that's the problem is that people, you know, we use, we throw the word genius around like it's a, a rare thing. Mm. Bullshit. It's in almost everybody. Mm -hmm. Almost everybody is a genius in some way. That's right. I agree. Right? I mean, that's it. And we're telling them, no, no, no. Genius is very narrowly defined. It's defined by academia. It's defined by academia at a very specific time. And if you're not checking off that box, something's wrong with you. And if something's wrong with you, well, shit, especially you young men, we better medicate you. We're going to label you. We're going to say, you know, you're ADHD or some bullshit like that and get you on some low-grade methamphetamines at five years old. And we're going to start your, you know, your issues and, and start your, your funnel downwards, you know, as far as your, it's just, it, it drives me crazy, man. And that's a big systemic issue. I'm, I'm loving this conversation for many reasons because it's making me feel a lot of different things. One of the things that it's making me feel is absolutely inspired and uplifted. And another thing it's make, it's really stretching my mind to imagine what's possible. And it's also making me very angry yep. uh, because we started out the conversation saying that the public school educational system has been designed, designed with intention in a specific right. way to do a certain set of things. And I could not agree with you more. And this is the sort of thing that suggests for some people becomes very controversial, unfortunately. But I would like, I'd like to, I'd like to hear your take on, uh, on this de- intentional design. Anybody that's listening to this, I always tell them to go read and half the parents that I talk to, you know, and especially if they're making the transition and, and, so many of the parents that come to us, they kind of are the same thing. It's like, oh my gosh, this is inspiring, but it's also mind blowing. It's also pissing me off. I also am still so emotionally attached to the concept of school that I don't even know if I can put my kid here because I won't be able to get over it because I still am drawn to like, ah, no, but they need to go to school. Like mm-hmm. it's this emotional attachment to this monopoly that's you know been uh, perpetrated in our culture. And so they have a hard time really getting past this, right? But if I 
if I can get people to listen to it, I tell them to go read anything and everything they can find by a man named John Taylor Gatto, G-A-T-T-O. Okay. Uh, John John was a phenomenal human being, just passed away a couple of years ago. Um, you can catch some videos uh, of him on YouTube as well. He started doing some lecture series later on in life. He'd already had a stroke, so he's a little hard to understand sometimes, but um, he is one of the most uh, influential people in, in my career. And, and, you know, I would probably say in my life, um, well, he was a teacher for 30 some odd years. Public school teacher was actually New York state teacher of the year, like twice. So the man was in the system too. So he's not just berating it. He's in it, but he's also the foremost historian of how it came to be in the first place. So as I inherently started seeing the issues in public school, especially as I went into administration, and I started seeing what were the obvious disconnects between what the kids needed and what we were told we had to do. I started asking that question of why, right? Why? Why is the system the way it is? Why are we not changing it? Why are we not allowed to change it? Why are we not allowed to question it? And not only are we not changing it, we're actually just constricting more and more and more. There was more intellectual. I'd talked to teachers that had been in the game for 30 years and they're like, yeah, there's more intellectual freedom 30 years ago for me. Now it's less and less and less, right? One of them turned me on to John Taylor Gatto and in one of his books, and uh, I'll have to look for, there was another gentleman that John Taylor Gatto turned me on to, one book in particular, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head. Um, I'll have to look for it and and try to get back to you. Um, But John lays out uh, essentially the history of this Prussian model. The reason all of these guys, Horace Mann and all these guys brought it over was to kind of recreate this factory model to have people who were smart enough to follow directions, but not smart enough to question if there's a better way to do it because we needed our good workers. And the long tail agenda of what essentially ended up being kind of like a communist party of cool, well, this is how you take control of a society. So we're going to get everybody, it's mandatory from an early age that we get their kids and if we do this all at once, there's going to be rebellion. There's no way it's going to, it's going to work. But what we do is over the series, you know, over the, over, a, uh, over the course of 50, 60, 70 years, we eventually take over an entire population to do our bidding because you just do this slow boil concept. So the way we're going to start to do it is we got to, okay, first we're going to eliminate religion and make sure religion in school never, ever mixes, right? Because it's not because we agree with one particular religion or disagree with one, but Religion, a lot of it is rooted in morality, and we want to start to erode the morality of society. So let's make sure religion comes out. Speaking of eroding that, let's start to really downplay the um, necessary uh, you know, human kind of setup of having a mom and a dad in, in the home. Let's, let's start to really um, discredit that that's really needed. Let's, let's, let's start doing, hey, you know, women, you can do it yourselves. And actually women, you should be in the workforce too. Let's, and I'm not saying women shouldn't be in the workforce. So please don't hear me saying that. I'm just saying this was part of the agenda yes. of discrediting the way the fabric of society and the way it was set up. And it was intentionally laid out to this is it. Now we need to get control of media and we need to start putting these messages out there. We need to have feminism on the rise. We need to start eroding Christianity or any other morality-based subject. We need to start um, you know, really getting into um, K 
killing off creativity. So we need to be a very narrow scope of what school's even going to be about and just make everything about that. We need to start getting in touch with media and make sure media is, is repeating all of these things, hiding anything that goes again. I mean, it was this long tail. You see it from 1951. And it literally is the progression of how things have gotten to where they are now, introducing critical race theory. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of the shit that we're seeing right now literally was laid out 70, 80 years ago. John Taylor Goddard does a great job of laying that stuff out. And I got to see that very early on and went, well, no, for me, that's a no for me and, and for my family. Yep. Right. So I'm going to do something about it. I'm not just going to complain about it. I'm going to do something about it and create something that's better and different. But I'm also watching it play out. So that's why I tell people, if your kid is in public schools right now, get them out. It is not going to get better. It is actually just going to get worse. There are going to be more mandates. There are going to be more restrictions. There are going to be more rules and regulations that you have to follow. These masks aren't going away. The, the endless cycle of, of vaccinations are not going to go away. And again, I'm not saying don't vax, do whatever you want. But understand, you're going to lose all choice there, period, end of story. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm, glad, I'm, glad that you, I'm glad that you mentioned who documents this, that, that John Taylor Gatto lays this out, because these are all subjects that I'm familiar with. Certainly, yep. we can go back to uh, the Frankfurt School, the Institute for Social Research, which is where a lot of this stuff came from, and you can yep. go further back to the late 1800s, yeah. and you can start looking to you know, the industrial revolution and when fathers were taken out of the home and, and you'd lay this out for people and their brains begin to kind of struggle to like, wait a minute, no, this can't possibly be intentional. We just kind of ended up here by accident. It's like, well, right. you, would you like to see some information to the contrary? And people are like, no, right. no, no. And then they, 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 they peace out mentally. It's like, well, you got to look at this stuff. This is not fake. This is real. This is welcome to reality. The matrix was a documentary in that regard, right? Here's the red pill. Here's the blue pill you find out most people really just want the blue pill, man. Let me just, Hardcore. let me just live the life of the, you know, the ignorance is bliss kind of, let me just stay right there, man. And let me be comfortable and screw you red pill guy, because you're telling me all the, you know, not screw the people that have lied to me for years. Screw you for telling me the truth. Right. As a society drifts further and further away from the truth, you know, the person who speaks the truth is going to be seen as a madman and as a danger to society, right? And that's what's playing out. It's so refreshing to hear you say these things and to know that this is what informs the educational, if we can use that, the educational, the personal developmental philosophy for kids, because, mm. you know, me and all of my friends and, and all my listeners, all of my listeners perhaps, you know, feel very much like, okay, what's going on in society? What I've been told about myself as a man, not okay. Yeah, that would be a big no for me, as you said. And Thank so you. to propagate that further down to, to the chain and say, okay, well, not big no to what society is telling me about uh, not just being a man, but being a father and being a husband. And then yep. you begin eval uh, evolving the thought further down the chain. What about my kids? How Thank can you. I shelter them inside my own home? And so many of my friends have their own reaction to this, but how can we educate them? And the homeschool option you know, there's so many great things about homeschool, but I think it's only partial. It's only a partial solution. You know, it's a good way of taking ownership over what your children are learning. And I'm, I'm, yep. I'm fully in favor of homeschooling, but I think yep. it does have limitations. And I think what you're talking about here is where can just for me now asking personally, like I'm not in a relationship, I'm quite far yeah. away from having kids, but it's still a question yeah. that's on my mind. Where can I place my children to give them the best? I'm going to use the word education, even though we mean yep. something much larger. Yep. 
to give them the best education, to give them the things that I never had education, right. and to help prepare them for a world that's becoming increasingly fluid. You know, yeah. intelligence doesn't work anymore. You have to have fluid intelligence to be able yeah. to move and flow and adapt to a society that's changing at an accelerating rate. And so this brings me great comfort to know that something like acting is exactly active. right. Yeah. And good on you. To, so, you know, and good on you for having those thoughts and thinking around that discussion. Cause the problem is so many people are not, <laughs> and that's, you know, I mean, that's just the reality of it. Again, so many people are worried about so many things, but in their mind, one of the just givens in society is a well, of course. And if you have kids, you send them to school. Yes. Yeah. Right. So that's not even something I necessarily think about now, this whole COVID situation and people working from home, it started to be the emperor has no clothes moment for some families. They started going, wait, wait, what? Some people did. And that was kind of the, now they're waking up a little bit to that, right? So many still have, you know, or they want to fight, which I, I appreciate those that want to fight for something better, but they don't understand that they're also fighting a losing battle. And, and so that's, you know, uh, you know, that's another, that's another part of it too. But so many are just like, oh, well, this is what we're going to go through. And our kids are just going to have to deal with it because I have to send my kids to school. No, you don't. You don't. And at this point, I think it's a priority that you, you know, that you figure out a way to have them doing something else. You'll make it a priority to get the car you want or the house you want or whatever. Make it a priority to send your kids somewhere that it's going to build resilient humans. Because what happens is you're still going to have millions that go through that system. And at the end of the day, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, what you're going to see are two very different groups and there's going to be very few up here there's going to be a ton down here but the 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 uh the chasm that is going to exist emotionally mentally for the resilience the ability the um the drive the communication like it, on every measure that life actually rewards uh the chasm is going to be enormous yeah that's that's essentially the the numbers that all of us then me and all my friends run. It's like society is splitting, and there's 100%. no the train has left the station. There's no putting two halves of society, and they only get further and further apart. Yep. What you run the numbers on that? I mean, yep. it's not a it's not a it's not a pretty picture. But I don't at this point. I don't really know. I don't really know what else to say about it. Like I, me and all my friends, were working hard on improving ourselves, getting fitter, smarter, stronger, more capable. And you see other people being like, I'm going to get my free Krispy Kreme. It's like, well, good luck with that. But like, how do we live on the same planet? How do our children live on the same planet? And that's that's kind of where I've come. My wife and I had this conversation not too long ago, and and we've kind of come to the conclusion. It's not a conclusion, but it's just going to be our mindset about it because there's so many people I'll have conversations with and just you see either glass over or they're like, screw you, or they're like, whatever. So we've just kind of come to this like, okay, you know what? We're going to look at it like there's just a different species too that looks like humans. And so sometimes during conversation, you're going to figure out, oh, this is the same species as me or it's a different species, right? And that's fine. And we're just going to go there because we don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to be in the business of convincing anybody that doesn't want to be convinced. I don't want to go down and, and take time on somebody that doesn't want to take time for themselves. Like I just, you know, like we're going to pour into building what we need to build and we're going to invite people along for the ride and go, here we go. And let's see if we're all in the same tribe. But if somebody is just not able to kind of see that man, then, then cool. We're just going to make it a different, it's a different species. Cause then at that point, you know, we, we related to the squirrels that are in our yard. we got a little ranch and we got a bunch of squirrels that are out there digging fucking holes, ground squirrels, right? Digging holes throughout our yard. If I, 
I can't go reason with them. I'm not going to go out there and be like, dude, I really wish you'd stop digging holes in <laughs> yeah. my yard. Right. Yeah. Cause then at that point I'm the crazy person Yes, yeah. trying to reason with something that just can't. And that's how we're looking at, you know, a lot of humanity, unfortunately at this point, I'm going to keep speaking the truth and people are either going to jump on or they're going to be like, well, screw you. And if that's that, then you're a different species. I'm not going to try to reason with you. Um, there's no point. I'm the crazy person if I try. So, so let's, let's start digging into this. So as you've gotten into more of a truth speaking role, yeah. as we've all sort of had to in the past, say, year, you know, yeah. nine months to a year, especially, but especially 2021. It's like, if you're not speaking truth in 2021, like you missed the boat. But yeah. have you experienced, have you experienced pushback? Because uh, I think we all have. It's like, how is that showing up in your life? No, hundred percent. I mean, you start, it's, it's like everybody else, you know, you lose stuff, you lose family, um, you lose, you know, people who are friends, you lose, right? So, but now I speak out mostly in the education sector. So the biggest pushback I get is from teachers and administrators. They don't, they don't want to listen to the words that I'm saying. They just hear, well, you hate teachers, you hate administrators. <laughs> nope. Very pro teacher, very pro administrator, very anti the system you are in. Right. But they hear it as, well, no, they, cause they know they, I'm here for the right reasons. I'm doing the best I can. And I know I am making a difference in kids' lives. Yes, 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 and yes. The system is still a hot mess. It's still not the same. You are still having to perpetuate a system that is, you know, contributing to the denigration of society. It's not anything against you personally, uh, but that's what they hear. So I get that pushback probably more than anything else. Um, I get a lot of pushback from college graduates, college professors, because, well, you're very anti-college. I just think college is a bad idea for like 90% of people. Mm -hmm. uh, and I have graduate degrees. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I went through there, but again, it, use, it was relatively useless for me too. So um, that's where the majority of the pushback comes back. And then I get it from parents who, you know, well, you know, you don't understand my situation and I've got a parent this way or I've got, so I get pushback from parents, but my own family as well. You know, as you start speaking out against stuff, you're going to piss off somebody. Um, it yeah. is what it is, but that's where I get it the most is the education world. So do the results though for your kids speak for themselves? Because we all get pushback, me and all my friends and the guys, we all start speaking truth and we get pushback, but then we seek to embody virtue and the virtues that we embody speak for itself more than our words ever can. Like, do you find parents are like, I'm so conflicted with what you're telling me, but I look at how smart your kids are and I can't put those two together. And you can't deny it. And so the proof is in the pudding, right? And that's throughout the entire acting network. It's for my own kids. And so you find, you find out very quickly who, is just gets it and they're on your side, right? I mean, you just find out very quickly. You can't deny it at this point. You can't deny it seeing my kids, all the other heroes that are here, the heroes in the Acton networks around the world. And, you know, we got a 17 year old at the Austin campus right now who's making, who's working a six figure job in the, you know, virtually a Bay Area six figure job while he's grad, while he's working on graduating from high school, right? And it's, by the way, it's a job that requires a college degree. So proof is in the pudding at this point. It's no, you can't deny it. We've been around long. So you, you know, so, um, it's either somebody gets emotionally distraught about that. And then wants to place an enemy label on that. And that's fine. We just don't pay, you know, just don't pay attention. Cause at the end of the day, my family is the only legacy that I've really got. Right. So they're, they're crushing it and they're doing good. They're happy. They're healthy. They're moving forward. Um, then I've won. So everything else, is just let's let's see how it goes. Let's see how you know how many people can we help. 
Um, and inevitably, the more people you help, the more you're going to piss off too. It's right. And it's like any other tool. So um, we'll see how it plays out. One of the questions that's that's up for a lot of my a lot of my male friends is, you know, what do I do about my relationship, or what do I do about finding a wife who shares my values, or what if my my girlfriend doesn't? So you and your wife did did your were your wife you know the two of you always in sync about these things? Did she have to sync up to where you were at? How did that play out? Yeah, it's a good question, man. I'd say for you know most of those guys, if they're in the early stages, you be the guy that you need to be and be the guy you want to be, and then you're more likely to just attract the people that you know, are going to agree with that in the first place. I mean, it starts, it always starts with that personal responsibility piece, right? And being who, who being the person you need to be like, that is 90% of the game. Um, and then you'll find, you'll find those girls that, that, that sync up. Um, it didn't work out like that for me. It wasn't like that. I had to go through the trial and error of being a dumbass and, and dating the wrong girls. And I mean, that definitely happened, you know, quite a bit. Right. And I was very lucky to, to meet my wife and and become friends with her prior to. And we bonded actually as friends over her boyfriend sucked, my girlfriend sucked, and we talked about how much they sucked together, right? And so we had this whole friendship for for a good year before we ever started dating, right? Which was which was cool. So um, so we knew there was that kind of compatibility and kind of you know worldview and stuff that was very um, you know, it was very similar at the start. We definitely grew together in that too, and and we were very um, you know, I think I was very lucky in the sense that because I had a lot of growing up to do, you know, prior to meeting her, we definitely did some growing up together. Um, but that friendship allowed us to grow up together and have a very similar, you know, view and very similar perspective. When it was initially uh, the only weird kind of hiccup, I guess, was like when I initially started going down uh, kind of the rabbit hole of all this educational stuff. I was doing it in the wee early morning hours. Right. So I'm, I'm a very, like, I do a lot of studying, uh, and reading in the mornings, in the mornings, coffee, reading, studying, quiet, everybody else in the world's asleep. Then I'll go work out. Then I'll go start my day. So I did this a whole bunch and I'm experiencing all this. And my thought was like, well, I'm not going to burden her with this part. This has to do with my career. We're doing things as a family and moving things forward. And we've got this young baby now who's trying to murder us because she won't sleep. And like, <laughs> so we're kind of in the process of all that while I'm figuring all this stuff out. And then it was basically like, all of a sudden I'm three years deep and I'm like, Hey, by the way, we're not sending our kids to school, man. We're going to have to homeschool or we're going to have to do something else. And when I first brought that out in her mind, We've just gone multiple years without sleeping. We now have a couple of kids and we're just starting to get back to feeling like we're not being tortured every day. And now you just told me that I'm just going to have to be the one that stays in home and homeschools. And I never wanted to be a teacher. Like that's not going to be cool. You know what I mean? And so we had to work through what I meant by that. Um, no, 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 no. That's not what that looks like. And so this is what that looks like. And then it's like, oh, okay. All right, cool. So then when I went to go visit Acton, once she had that understanding, I literally came back home and got in bed, flew back in from, from visiting acting, got in bed. She's like, how was the trip? And I was like, it's awesome, man. If we, you know, we're either going to have to homeschool or we've got to move to Texas because that's where this acting thing is, or we need to build one. And she's like, okay, cool. Well, I don't want to move to Texas homeschools, you know, whatever. So like, let's build I'm like, cool night. What a dream. What and, a dream. and, and she is, yeah. And she has supported that every sense, every step of the way. And by support, I mean, now we've got three kids and as we've been building out, you know, multiple campuses here now in Northern California, 
a lot of my role has been, I've been on airplanes and I'm working with all these companies still and I'm still speaking and I'm traveling and I'm doing all this and she's holding down the fort. And then when I am home, I'm working on building these businesses and building these campuses. And, you know, so she's been, um, you know, uh, ride or die. That's awesome. I think that's, I think that's what a lot of men are looking for, who, who, myself included. I'm not in a yes, the moment. I'm looking for someone like that because you need a person that is ride or die in these states. Yep. If, if that fundamental bond isn't going to hold, things are going to be a lot more difficult. Yes, sir. You are 100% correct. So yeah, it's been good. You're also very outspoken, which I, which I have great uh, respect and admiration for. You're very outspoken about your faith as well. And I wonder if you can talk a bit about how your Christian faith informs all these different aspects of your life, because this is a new part of my life. You know, like I mentioned uh, before we started, I was baptized in September. It was one of the best yep. things that ever happened to me. It's a huge shifting turning point yep. in my life. And so to see men speaking out about their Christian faith very boldly, very strongly, I think a lot of men are waking up to that and like, wow, there's something going on with this Christianity thing that wasn't going on before. Yeah, man. So there are, I can relate. The best thing I can do is relate to everything we've talked about so far in education, right? Mm-hmm. I was in it been in it. And as I'm in it, I'm looking at the system as it's designed and going, man, there is an issue here with this, with system. Humans are this, the system says this, I believe as we go into health and this, I'm, I'm giving maybe three, the only three things I even know much about are education, human health, and, and religion. And, and I believe who God, you know, who God is, right. And I got these three things. So you go into the system. The system says it's got to look like this. You talk to doctors and MDs, they'll tell you, man, we, yeah, we go through and we learn how to perpetuate the system of medicine as it currently stands in the Western world. We don't do a lot about human health. We don't really learn about how nutrition impacts the body. We take like one semester course on that. We don't really, it's how do you treat this? How do you treat this? How do you treat this? How do you perpetuate the system? Yes. Right? So going through this whole faith journey too is what you find is it's a lot of that too is these guys are taught how to perpetuate the system. So me being this curious person, I'll come to, you know, I went to pastors and just went, Hey man, as I'm figuring all this stuff out and my journey in that literally was, you know, I grew up like diet Catholic, right? Like I just <laughs> go on the holidays kind of stuff, but I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm just going cause dad says go. Yep. Um, but I'm about 19 going, man, I got to figure out this whole thing. So I started diving down. I'm a why guy. So like, I'm going to learn. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to read the Book of Mormon and I'm going to read the Quran and I'm going to read, um, you know, uh, what else was, I mean, there was uh, the Pearl of Great Price was another Mormon. I mean, I read a number of things because I wanted to see what makes sense and what doesn't so that I could say for myself, you know what? I'm not buying this. I read a lot of stuff by Richard Dawkins, right? And I mean, the foremost atheist, right? And I'm going, okay, he's missing the boat. (laughs) Um, You know, this whole Quran thing. I'm not jiving with this dude. There's reasons I can pick this out. I'm, I don't think this works. So you start going down all these paths and you start to figure out, okay, well, the, here's what I think makes the most sense right now. Now I want to dive into this. Does this make sense? And what are the parts that are still confusing for me? And what I found was very early on is I started going, okay, what about this and this and this? And I'd go to a pastor and I'd be like, what do you think, dude? What about this? Eh, I'm not sure because I wasn't taught that. We're not allowed to question this part. We're not allowed to you know, what, like, we're not allowed to, to talk about that or, um, Hey man, that's, that's, you know, that, that's definitely off limits. Or I never even have thought of this, or you start to see it's another system. Mm-hmm. There's another system there. So for me, that whole journey has been cool. 
well, outside of the system, how can I dive deeper into what is written here and how do I learn what is written here? And so that has actually taken me the last five, six, seven years. It's been more on this journey of connecting with these other men literally all over the world. And we are going from the oldest extant copies of scripture that we can find. We're talking Dead Sea Scrolls. We're talking written in Hebrew. And we're going, man, let's Let's take a look and see what it says. And what's interesting is you, you know, you come to find a whole lot of things that, you know, now the scientific community is is backing up, and you're seeing things play out his from a historical faction, uh, historical way that you're like, yeah, okay, this this kind of makes sense, man. So we dive into the Hebrew as much as we can translate it. There are guys that translate it much better than I do, but we dive into that. We talk about that stuff together, and um, you know, again, it's just one of those things where. I am open to somebody proving me wrong uh, about things, but um, don't do it based on emotion. Don't go, well, I grew up in this and you're in it. Show me, like, let's have a conversation. Um, you know, and I'll do that with pastors too, and I'll get pushback from them as well. But, uh, but yeah, it's been a great journey, man. For me, it's just a journey of discovery and trying to figure out who we all are. What the hell are we doing here? I, I'm, I'm surprised at how many people don't want to answer that question. Men, we're now almost halfway through 2021. Where's your fitness at? Is it where you want it to be? By this point, if you've listened to my podcast, you know what an important part of my story my fitness transformation was. It was something I'd wanted for a long time and a gift only I could give myself. I did, and it went on to change my life. And I'm just one of countless similar stories. I was motivated to do it on my own, but looking back, I wonder what I could have accomplished with guidance and support. Enter Derek Arellano of Train Volition. Together, Derek and I assemble the special program called the Volition Renaissance, targeted specifically for my listeners. We work to merge our values. I encourage men to bravely embrace and cultivate their masculinity, and Derek celebrates men's desire for physical prowess and accomplishment, driven by his success as a top 10 U.S. bodybuilder. Putting them together, Derek has developed a 12-week all-encompassing online program that embodies both. You kick off the program with a 30-minute consultation where Derek gets to know you and plots your trajectory. Then you get a training and nutrition plan tailored for you and your goals, whether they be weight loss, mass gain, sports performance, or rehabilitation at any age or stage of life. Then you get a mobile training app to track your progress, lifestyle coaching to help you cultivate habits for success, three PDF ebooks that outline Derek's philosophy behind fitness and nutrition, and finally, a direct line to Derek for support when you need it most. The purpose behind this offering isn't just to get you in shape, but to create your physical renaissance. Derek's brand is called Volition because it means making a choice, taking the path of effort, and using your willpower to achieve a goal. That's why he's the perfect partner for the renaissance of men. So to learn more and sign up for Volition Renaissance, Visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. That's volition, V-O-L-I-T-I-O-N, volitiontraining.com slash renofmen. Or to learn more about Derek, check out my podcast episode with him from this year entitled Fitness and Your Higher Self. Once again, to learn more, visit volitiontraining.com slash renofmen to sign up now and start your physical rebirth. Mm, I agree. I mean, and that's very similar to my path. I grew up, uh, I grew up diet Jewish or reformed Jewish. I went to, you know, there's not really any, not really any religious structure to it. It's like we do the Jewish thing because we're Jewish. So we go to the holy services and stuff. I went to a Jesuit high school, Catholic high school. 
And then I moved to the Bay Area and the Bay Area was super new age and you could have any religion except Christianity. And so I played around, it. Yeah, exactly. So I played around Buddhism and all these new age beliefs. And then I, I traveled the world quite a bit. And so I've, yeah. been, to, I've never been to 33 countries on six continents. And that's so, awesome. yeah, so I went to the Kumala festival, the Hindu festival, like hundreds of millions of Hindus. I went to that. I went on totally. a Buddhist meditation retreat. I've done plant medicine, ayahuasca in South America. So I've nice, explored yeah. all of these, I've, I've explored all these different faiths. Yep. And I came back and, uh, and, and there's a long story here, but I had gone to Burning Man in 2015. Okay. And while I was there, I had encountered a Christian ministry group that had been going to Burning Man for 12 years. If you can imagine, they were an evangelical wow. Christian ministry. Yeah, right? And so I stumbled into their camp and I had a sort of a healing encounter with them. And at the end of the healing encounter, I had like G- Jesus appeared to me in a vision, right? It was, it was like, okay, maybe I can tell you the whole story, but that's kind yeah. of the punchline. Yeah. You not see that coming. The joke for those who go to Burning Man, yeah. you live in the Bay Area or you live in Northern California. So, you know, like I met Jesus at Burning Man. It's like, yeah, man. To- <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. You're like, no, that's, that's me. It's based on me. That's me. And when I tell people. That's funny. People, yeah. So, so then, so then I've been through all these spaces. And then when I get, got back to the United States in February of 2020, just as the whole COVID thing was just kind of beginning to percolate. The man who, who was part of that healing encounter, Burning Man, sent me a book called Simply Christian by N.T. Wright. Yeah. And I read this book, and there was an image in this book of, uh, of what was represented by the cross, by the crucifixion. That was Jesus taking on all the evil of the world onto his own head and driving back this great wave of, this great wave of death, essentially, and overcoming death on the cross was the, was the message of that. And that vision, that, that metaphor in the book just landed like, oh, I get it now. And so that sent me on this deep dive into Christianity at the end, C.S. Lewis and all these other yep. things. And so that yep. was a big moment for me to have gone on this big journey around the world and to, like you to have experienced all these different faiths and asked all these questions and finally arrived, not exactly back where I started, but someplace very, very unexpected. Yeah, man. I mean, and that's the whole thing is you're willing to at least explore and have the conversation. That's the whole, that's the whole deal, man, is you don't just go, look, this is what I was always told. This is what I was told we were supposed to do. This is what the majority of my friends and family do. Like there's something to be said for tradition in terms of like small traditions and keeping things together. But when you're talking tradition, as far as humanity goes, well, tradition usually has been used for systems to have power, you know? And so that's where it gets dangerous. And so then people start to lose their own individual journeys. They just learn how to parrot what those around them are telling them to parrot so that they can fit in. So they become part of the tribe, right? But there's no real ownership. There's no real journey that takes place. If there's no ownership, if there's no journey, I would argue there's no anything. Mm -hmm. Like there's just, there's just nothing there. It's vapid. There's, there's nothing, right? So you got to have that exploration piece of that. So I think that's, that's cool, man. I mean, that's definitely, and I, you know, that is one of those areas where I feel like I have more knowledge in that area than, you know, honestly, 90% of people purely because I'm willing to go where the words lead and go explore and go see what happens. Um, but I know that I know a freaking microscopic amount of all there is to know in that regard too. I just know I'm willing to, to, to try more than most people and for longer. <laughs> that's a good, you know, cool, by the way, that's my secret to, to business too. I'm going to do it longer than you. I'm going to do like, I'm not take. I haven't taken a day off in six years and I work every day and I will do it longer than you and I will keep going and we will win because of that alone. With leadership, that's courage, right? That's what, that's what men need to have right now. You don't get to take a day off. Like your life is your work, is your family, is everything. 
It's all the same, man. That's it. That's my balance. My balance is the peace of mind up here. That's the balance. That's the work-life balance, you know? I mean, same, explain what you mean by that because you gestured, you pointed to your head in that moment. But how do you yeah. maintain that work-life balance? It's not even work-life balance. It's just life. Well, I think the, yeah, balance. I mean, if you, you say balance, you automatically think of a scale and you think, okay, work. I hear work-life balance. And I think most people take that as you work as much as you do life, quote unquote, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're miserable at your work and, and kind of bleeds in and you're miserable at your life and then you're looking at it going, okay, well, there's a lot of time spent at work and it makes me miserable. So I'm not actually, right? It's this weird cycle. For me, work-life balance, any, if you're talk, talking about balance for humanity, you're talking about peace of mind. I think that's ultimately what you're talking about is there's, there is just a peace of mind that happens up there. When you use that as your metric, it's okay that there are weeks that I work 60, 70 hours because I'm not stressed about it. I'm not worried about it. It doesn't bleed into how I treat other people. It's not impacting my relationship. My relationship with my wife does not suffer. My relationship with my kids does not suffer. My relationship with my friends, my family, the people I work with who are friends and family, uh, none of those things suffer. I'm at peace. I'm not worried about the people that are pissed at me and saying, you shouldn't be saying what you're saying. It literally does. I don't have an emotional response to that. Likewise, people that are like, hey, man, this is great. And that, like, that doesn't affect me emotion wise either. I've just got a peace, man, and just a balance. To me, that's the work life. Like it's that. It's all, it's all that mental. Now, if anything starts to shift that, I start to feel like, okay, well, maybe I'm starting to be worried about this or I see something slip. That's where I've got to address it, right? But as long as everything is just peaceful up here, um, the the amount of time I spend working, it's a mission, right? I'm committed to it, and it's not. So there's no there's no issue there. Nothing's no no cart being upset. I think you said you said the magic word is as far as I'm concerned, which is mission and purpose. And I think yep. that's one of the things that so many men identify as a real problem with men today. Not just no purpose. high school, no purpose. How, no you must speak to you must speak to when I say young men, I mean you know college graduates let's let's say college graduates up to married men potentially you know what do you tell them about finding purpose because this is something yeah. that really fuels you no purpose man everybody resonates you know Braveheart is my favorite movie of all time my buddy Ryan Mickler I'm sure you're sure with his work right oh, yeah. that's his favorite right Ryan's favorite movie of all time man Braveheart is our favorite movie of all time so many men resonate with that and it's because this guy is out there living a purpose and a mission every single day all the way up to death right and yes that's a spoiler alert but dude if you haven't seen it the movie came out in like <laughs> 1994 so get on it gotcha. uh, right so um it's that, that purpose thing. And young people, that is a question that we get quite a bit. The Apogee program especially is, is purpose. And we have one of our young men, we have weekly mentors that come on with these guys at Apogee. And when I say weekly mentors, these are some of the top leaders in the world, mm-hmm. um, quite frankly, that are coming on and speaking to these young men. And one of our young guys is, is known for saying, hey, what is the meaning of life? You know, and, and I look at that as, you know, the, the finding purpose starts with you being intentional and giving your life purpose. It starts with, you know, we, the phrase that I use for these young guys is not ready, aim, fire. That's not how life actually works. You want life to work. If you want to find purpose, it is fire, aim, ready. You go, you do, you start down a direction, you start down a path 
And then you learn from that. That path either go illuminates something for you, or you're like, yeah, okay, this is this is looking good. I just need to move a little bit, or it kicks you in the nuts, and you find a different path, and you start going down that right. But you're firing first. You're using experience. You're collecting experiences. Collect experiences. That's a whole Apogee program. Is we're throwing out challenges and projects all the time. So these guys are just collecting a ton of experiences, and in the process of those experiences. They gain self-confidence because they're doing some things that are hard mm-hmm. for them and they're overcoming it and they're seeing that they're not a fragile little flower. They can actually do some hard shit. So they're getting some self-confidence, not cockiness, not bravado, not bullshit. They're getting self-confidence from actually doing something. Plus they're getting some self-awareness. They're like, this was cool. This sucked. I liked this. I didn't like this. I was good at this. I sucked at this. Like all of those things start to tell you who who you are, it starts to illuminate your DNA, your design, who you have specifically been designed to be. What is your unique genius, right? So they start putting all those things together and they keep collecting those experiences. And when you do that, every time you're firing on a new experience, now you're able to just aim a little bit better because you have a little more of that awareness. And ultimately you continue to fire, continue to aim, continue to fire, continue to aim. Then you get to a stage where you're somewhat ready. And by ready, we just mean now you know what your purpose is and that's it. Now the whole battle begins again. It's that whole hero's journey cycle all over again, right? So if you want purpose, you want meaning, do shit and (laughs) right, start there, do. And then that will become um, you know, illuminated for you, right? And I think Jordan Peterson talks about you just you, the the whole meaning, especially at the beginning, is just to take on as much responsibility as humanly possible. Take that on as much responsibility as you can shoulder, and then that is going to start to illuminate for you what your purpose is. But sitting and waiting for your purpose to come through some sort of inspiration, sitting and waiting for purpose to just knock on your door is like you deciding, hey, I I would love to have a relationship at some point and have kids, and that's great. And the best way to do it is I'm going to sit here in my hotel room in Denver, Colorado, and I'm just going to have my fingers crossed and hope that the right woman comes and knocks on my door gonna happen soon, someday soon oh shit yeah keep them keep them crossed man maybe cross your toes too right <laughs> provable bullshit it's the yeah. same kind of thing you go you go out and you're intentional about what you're doing um and collecting those experiences purpose you know what comes out of that for sure well this is perfect because i wanted to ask questions about apogee as well and so because that was how i discovered you is jack donovan shit sure. that you were uh, off nice. his book as part of your curriculum like, oh this is interesting any yeah. curriculum that includes the way of men is a curriculum yeah. that I would like to invest in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so then I heard about you there. And then and then I discovered uh, Apogee and Acton were two separate, I guess, halves, manifestations of a purpose. Maybe you can put yeah. a picture. What, what is Apogee? What is it designed to do, perhaps even in complementary fashion with Acton? Yeah, very much so. So Acton, you know, is everything we've been talking about here. It's this K through 12 movement. And there are many of us around the world. We are pushing all this stuff forward. Um, we are wanting to shift society by building these resilient young people, you know, and put them on the hero's journey. They could find a calling. They could save the world. But in that, there's the societal issues that we were talking about where, again, boys are cut off at the knees early, right? And so does Acton... Um, help these young men figure out who they are? Absolutely. This is the K through 12 program that absolutely does this. But the problem is we still have a bunch of broken boys that are in their teenage years or they're in their early twenties and they are still absolutely broken, right? 
Acton works on building resilient young people so we don't have to fix broken men. Apogee, not saying we're going targeting broken, but we're, we're not. We're just targeting young men who understand that, look, you are being challenged in society to be a whole lot less of a version of yourself. And I don't want to wait until you're 30, 40, 50 and you're crying because your life sucks for whatever reason. So let's hit you right now when you're in your teenage years and let's see if we can combat the bullshit you're being fed in public school. Let's hit you right now when you're 20, 21, 22 and you're just stepping into the workplace. Let's see if we can make you a leader among your peers, right? And let's deprogram all this bullshit and reprogram a young man that wants to lead, that wants to have that intensity behind him, that wants to actually be a good man. Um, so Apogee is, is kind of the answer to that for us. And so we've created a mentorship program. Um, where that goes, we're not sure yet. If it's going to be you know, some physical manifestations, a whole lot of on-site, if we're going to, I don't know exactly where we're going to go, but we knew right now we could target these young men and get all these young men to come together virtually. So we have young men from all over the world who are taking on projects and challenges in their community. They're challenging each other and themselves to lead. And, and they're taking on all of these experiences that are pushing their boundaries. They're pushing themselves physically, mentally. And then they're coming together every single week to support each other. But to have mentors like myself, like Tim Kennedy, you know, who helped me, we worked together to put this on. Um, and they're connecting with mentors like Jack and they're reading Jack's book. They're connecting with Ryan and reading his book. They're reading Tim Grover's book. They're, you know, they've got, you know, guys like Bedros, you know, and pouring in and they've got um, Josh Tyler from Savage Gentleman and they've got, you know, Brian Callen. We just had Brian um, come in and speak to him. They got Frank Grillo coming in and speaking to him. They got all these rad humans, mm. these guy, good men that are just pouring into them, answering their questions, encouraging them to continue to be, to grow, to be good men. You Is know, there it's, an it's, age limit on this? Cause I can think of a lot of guys of pretty much any age that would probably be like, yeah, where do I sign up for that? True story, man. Yeah. I mean, that's really one of the things that we're kind of playing with is like, you know, we've got young guys as, as young as like 11 and 12 that are taking this on. We've got guys that are in their 20s that are taking this on. Um, so, you know, it's more about who, who, who the guy is and, and you know, than, than anything else. I mean, that's really it. Um, the challenges, the projects, these are all real life things. They are scalable to be really, you know, just as efficient. We've had 12 year olds sitting down with, you know, Charlie Kirk or, or 13 year olds sitting down with Pete Roberts from origin. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, because this is part of their CEO project. We also had guys in their twenties who were connecting with CEOs in India because that was their dream CEO to connect with. And it was one of the projects and it helped them from a career standpoint. Right. It's so, so to answer your question, no, man, not there's not really an age limit um, if you're going to come in and commit and, and do the work and, and pour in to yourself, then that's great because we're going to pour into you to the exact measure that you're willing to pour into yourself. I mean, that's awesome. I have a section on my website called the library where I lay out because I've read many of the books that you're talking about because in this world yeah. of men's personal development, there are so yeah. many different leaders that have all written all these different incredible books that I've been very blessed to read and absorb and sort of bring into my into my being. And it's like, I want to point men in a direction. Like I was hyper motivated to study this very narrow field of study, I guess you might say. Yeah. And so, but I, I know that other men do better in a, in a more directed kind of fashion. And that's yeah. what exciting to hear because yep. that's one of the things, yes, we, we get a very poor education in terms of educating our minds, but as men, we need a specific kind of education 
you know, to grow into the men that we're meant to be. We don't just yep. we don't just become it magically. We have to be right. uh, shaped and honed into into the best version of ourselves by more capable men, and that's incredibly difficult to find these days. It is incredibly difficult, and it used to be societally, it was just what we did. You know, in every society, and goods, that's what they did. Like there was a rite of passage. Men taught young men how to be the men in their culture. You know, and the Spartans had the agogi, right? And you have this, I mean, that's that that whole transitionary period, right? And we have just eliminated that altogether uh, in society. And so we just want to, you know, we want to bring that back. I mentioned Bedros and, um, you know, he's doing a, a great job with what he's doing with the Modern Day Night Project to try to help help men, you know, be better versions of themselves. The Squire program to try to help, um, you know, dads and, and young men kind of have that rite of passage, so to speak. And, um, you know, we want to do the same thing. It's a, it's a long, the reality of building a human being is a long tail game. So a lot of people look at our mentorship program and like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like, it's a, it's a year. And to be honest, we might just leave it to where it's just open in perpetuity where we just continuously, if you want to jump in from a month to month basis and just, I mean, maybe we do that. I don't, you know, we don't really know where we're going to go, but the reality is it's not a quick fix. You don't go to a seminar for, you know, for three hours and, and then Wave you're, you're all set, man. That just doesn't work. It's a, it's a daily thing, man. So we want to continue to pour into these guys to really shift, actually shift their mindset, actually shift to where leadership is now a disciplined habit. It's not just something they talk about. It's not something they get fired. It's part of the problem with church, right? People go get fired up in church for an hour, come out, dude, you're the nicest person in the world. You're the coolest cat in the world for the rest of Sunday. Monday comes, you're still pretty cool. Tuesday, you're a dick again. And you're a dick all the way to Sunday until you get there again. You know, it's like, that's a, no, we need people pouring into each other all the time and staying consistent in the long tail. And one of the questions I wanted to ask is what you talk about 11 and 12 year olds being in this program. Can you paint a picture for me of what happens when like an 11 or 12 year old reads the way of men? Like, what do they, what do they think about that? I'm so curious because I can't, I can't quite, yeah. it out. I'm so yeah. hey, it's, it's, you know, I mean, um, they, they get it. What we ask them to do is to ask them to highlight anything that speaks to them. Right. Um, there's going to be some stuff. I mean, we're reading art. Some of them are reading like art of war right now. Uh, when they get to some, you know, when they get to 12 rules by Jordan Peterson, there's some shit that's going to be way over their, their head. Um, and that's fine. Um, but what we ask them to do is highlight anything that either stood out to you, motivated you, excited you, made you mad, you disagreed with, but you had a visceral response to it for some reason. You highlight that, by the way, the 15 year old in your squad is going to highlight the same, you know, some stuff too. The the 19 year old is going to highlight some things. The 22 year old is also going to highlight some things. And then when we come together on Friday, there's going to be part of our Friday calls where we're just going to go, Hey, who highlighted what? Maybe the 11 year old jumps in. Maybe they don't. Um, but everybody else throws some stuff out there and we just have conversations around the why, why was that part highlighted? And then what we tell them is you're going to go, you know, you go back a year from now, you'll go back, you'll read this again. Um, check out the highlighted version, see if it still does the same thing, go back through if you need to, you know, whatever, but, um, they, they get it, man. Um, they really do. I mean, they, they get it. And if they got questions, they ask questions and then they start to get in the mindset of, man, I can, I can ask good questions of other men that are maybe better men than I am right now. And that's good too, right? That's part of the growth process. I do the same thing. I feel like I'm a good man who can pour into other young men. I still have men that I go to that are better than me at other areas that I want to get better at, right? And they're my go-tos. They're my mentors. And so I will go and be like, I don't understand this. I need you to help me with this, right? Like that's, that's the process. That's what it's supposed to be. 
that sounds that sounds like the best way to teach an 11 and 12 year old is just let them open up to whatever happens to them as they experience the writing and well let's let's talk about this as men how did you feel about that that's it that's it and then you know when we had our mentors on the call we have ian smith on the call and we have zuby on the call it is open for the 11 year old the 20 three-year-old and everybody in between to just ask whatever is on their heart. What's, what is going on? What do they want to ask? What do they want to know? And just go. Um, it is just that, like it's, it's that. And it's in the company of other good men who are going to treat them like that, which by the way, means if you're being an asshole in the group or you're not, you're falling down in the group, these guys will learn to call each other out on that. But for the most part, man, you just have a bunch of young, young guys that are truly pouring into each other pushing each other to be better. We come in and we celebrate the victories from the week and they're listening to some of the best men on the planet, encourage them and tell them how to be better men and how not to make mistakes they did and just accelerating that growth. It's rad. That sounds, that, that sounds incredible. That sounds like spectacular just to watch and be a part of. It's the best, man. It's really, it's a, it is, I do not, I do not have a problem um, on Fridays. When you have young people teenage boys who don't have a problem spending three hours on a zoom call. Hmm. Like literally they have the ability to get off, right? When we got boys from all over the world on here, young men from all over the world on here and guys in their twenties from all over the world, you know, on this screen, if you got to go, you got to go drop off. You got to drop off. If you can't make the call, you can't make the call. I'll send you the recorded version. If you can't, um, if you can only make it for an hour and a half and then you got to jump off and you're going to, you're going to get the book part and the mentor part, but we'll go into our, uh, Socratic discussion for the week or whatever. You're not going to be there or whatever. They have the ability to be flexible with all those things. And I'm telling you the majority of them every single week are like, no, man, I want to make all three hours of that. I actually want to stay on. Like they actually want to be there. Some of them it's one o'clock in the freaking morning in whatever country they are in. That, that tells you something, you know, they're, they're yearning for that. Have you had any of these young boys go through this and uh, they, they begin learning maybe teenagers up to that age and they begin getting in conflicts with their friends and potentially even their fathers around masculinity? Um, you know, luckily the parents have been really, really supportive so far. So I haven't had any, you know, we just launched this in January. So I can't say that we uh, That's cool. have had, yeah, have had anybody that, that is at least purported any kind of conflict around that. I have had many who have had conflicts with friends or more often actually just let go of people they were hanging out with that they realized that we weren't going to be able to help, right? Yep. They're upgrading their, their circle. Yep. right to be more men of character and and they're choosing new friends um and then i have had one in particular who just realized that um you know he's always kind of had a strained relationship with his his dad and he kind of through all this has just realized has started to see his dad as just as another man and and kind of figuring out through his own self awareness okay well my dad's probably going through these struggles too so there's almost this I'm going to step away, but I'm the, there's an emotional detachment around a, a hurt. You know, like I'm not hurt by that anymore. I just see he's another man that was going through these things and he hasn't, he's done his best around this. He's kind of screwed up around this and that's okay. Um, but it's allowed him to also just go, okay, I'm going to take more responsibility for myself though. I don't want to put my responsibilities or my life on his shoulders anymore. And, you know, it's a young man in his twenties that has kind of um, learned that too. So you're already seeing so much of, of those kind of things play out. It's, it's cool, man. It's really powerful to to hear that men are learning to reconcile with their fathers because that's almost yep. that's such a thing that's up for so many guys. It's like, how do I reconcile with my dad and who he was and what he gave me, good and bad? Totally. Do I, how do good I, and bad. 
yeah, yeah man. And even if that's not going to be a really, you know, my, I, I've talked about this quite a bit too. I, I don't, I haven't spoken with my father in four, I think maybe four years, five years. Wow. Um, I don't know exactly what it is. And, but I harbor no, I harbor no ill will, um, you know, in any regard. And I see him now as just the, the guy, I'm a very flawed individual. He's a flawed individual. And I saw, you know, I can just see now from like, okay, well, there's demons that he had and I can, I get why he had them. Um, I get that he operated out of fear. I get why he did what he did. I get how he was over. Like I get so many of those things. So I just, you know, um, I thank him for the lessons that I learned both good and bad. And, um, and that's great. Um, it doesn't make sense for me to have a relationship with him because of him still operating in that space. And I don't want to put that in my kids' lives. Right. And so that's, um, that's why, and that's really the biggest thing for me is I don't, I don't want to, it doesn't make any sense to have to do that, but I don't harbor any ill will. And I, you know, I want men to get to a good place where even that there's a reconciliation that takes place there. Um, that, that I think is, is a, is a healthy, is a healthy thing and guys need to get there. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that was a big thing for me when I reconciled with my dad, you know, we yeah. see him as a man and yeah. There were things that he he worked really hard to give me when I was growing up. For example, totally. being able to go to you know a Jesuit school and go to Stanford University that took a toll on my debt. So totally. there were things that he gave me and things that he didn't give me, and I had to like Jesse Lee Peterson says, "Have you forgiven your mother? Have you forgiven your father?" It's like those are big questions, man. Totally, man. Yep, they absolutely are. That's a big thing because that's your own. Again, it comes back to you. Like that's your own. That's your own thing. You harboring any ill will towards somebody else, man. It's just poisoning you. You know, it's that it's that age old kind of adage. I mean, that's and that's the truth, man. Um, you know, you're not going to grow out of that. You're stuck on that. You're capping yourself uh, in that regard. So, uh, and I don't ever want to. You know, again, I take everything back to my kids, my family. That's my legacy. Well, I'm leading them by example on how to live my life too. And so that needs to be a part of that because I want them to understand how to do it. So if I'm not doing it. I'm showing them that. It doesn't matter what I'm telling them. I'm showing them how to live. Mm -hmm. um, they're going to follow my example before they follow my advice, right? So I got to make sure I'm, I'm leading by example. And that's a part of that, you know, well, for it, sure. It sounds to me that you've taken on a very paternal role in, in many different ways, not just in your own household, but, yeah. you know, with Actim and with Apogee, like this sort of sure. grandfather, not maybe not identity, but approach to life. Sure. And I think that's, you know, and that's... Um, I think part of my, part of my mission is I think that is an ancillary part of that mission, you know, which is, which is great. Cause we do have so many guys that are looking for that, that need that. And I know I have that not necessarily my own father, but I do have those, I do have those men in my life that play those roles too. And I'm very grateful and I know how impactful that is. And so I think that's part of my duty, man, is passing that along. I don't think that's even something that should be negotiable mm -hmm. uh, for a, for a man. You know, I think they need to pass those things along. I don't think that should be a, mm, if I want to, I think you need to you have to mm -hmm. you don't have a choice anymore like where is this right. going to come from if not men it's not going to come down on stone tablets from the sky probably that's right man that's right probably not probably not man yeah moses got the last one of those so uh, how does the podcast play into all this because i was scrolling through and i I, I noticed that it's a relatively recent development i think it started in 2020 or maybe 2019 or at least that's all that showed up on spotify how does the podcast play into everything else that you're doing yeah man we're 100 episodes we're about 100 episodes in in about a, just over a year oh, so we've question. been so we've been rolling. Yeah. Um, it is, it is all again. Yeah, you're right. Everything is all back into that same mission, right? So the whole point of the podcast was to take another medium that was very popular that I thought would be very effective. And how can we disseminate these kind of lessons to young people and to their parents? Um, 
And so we just took kind of a tribe of mentors approach, uh, did a, a survey, 1500 young people in this country and said, Hey, what do you want to learn from amazing humans? Um, we kind of cultivated their top questions and went, cool, we'll just use this as sort of the basis for the conversation and we'll go from there. And so, you know, we get these rock star human beings, man. And we just sit down and use that as the basis for conversation. So it's essentially all these guys who are crushing it in one, you know, men and women who are crushing it in one way or another, and they're pouring into young people and oftentimes pouring into their parents as well. Um, and just providing real life practical, um, Hey man, here's how you take on some of these challenges. Here's how you shift your mindset. Here's what I've done and take that away. It's really a tribe of mentors. You know, if you ever read that book by Tim Ferriss, it's really that approach. Um, and you know, all of that is designed to, again, pour into the same mission. And then ultimately as that gets monetized and all that, we want to use that just scholarship wise for Acton and, and just help promote the Acton brand. So, um, it's been really cool. It's been neat to see so many, what's an interesting part that has come out of it is so many new, um, Acton affiliates in the network that have popped up because of the podcast. Oh, wow. So uh, about that. It's very cool, man. Um, seeing so many people like, Hey, I heard about acting through your podcast and I went down the rabbit hole and I've got my own kids and man, I've got to do this. I've got to take this on now for my community. Um, I need to build an acting out here. Can I connect with you so we can start talking? That has been rad. Um, that's something that wasn't necessarily the, the focus of it, but it's been kind of this other benefit of again, fire aim ready you know? And so we fire, let's go and see what happens. And now we realize that that's become a powerful thing for just the brand in general too, just launching all this, you know? So, um, it's been fun, man. And just on a selfish side of it, I get to sit down with rad humans. I know the feeling. I did, right? It's just the best. You just sit down with rad humans and have these conversations. Like, what the hell? Like yesterday I had a hundred and something families down here. I got to spend my entire morning driving with my own kids to school slash work. So we're just spending the day together. When we get there, I've got friends and family members, you know, that I consider family members that I work with. I love every single one of them. And I actually like to hang out and do life with all of them. So we get all of you guys. I got all these young heroes the day before I got to take us, you know, a seven-year-old to lunch because he wanted to go to lunch with me. And that was one of his things that he earned through doing his work because he gets to take somebody to lunch, took me to lunch. So I get to go hang out with this young dude who just wants to freaking talk to me. <laughs> for some reason, right? Do all this. Then we get a hundred and something families that are coming in wanting their young person to be there. And I get to just talk about what we're doing as a movement. And as soon as that's done, I shut that down. I run up and I jump on a podcast with Bedros Koulian. And we're just talking about his whole journey and what he's like, you know, go home to, you know, a wife that I still get along with and we're joking around and we got a little ranch. I'm like, shut up, dude. Things are <laughs> so freaking good. I mean, I know, really. I I know this feeling, man. I know this. Like, yeah. yeah, it's the best, dude. It is the best. And, and, you know, it's the whole people. Yeah. You're very lucky. I am very lucky. And it's also, you very much make your own luck. Cause I'm the first one to tell you, you know, I'm, I should have been thrown in jail a number of times. I have been homeless. I have had the experience of walking up to the, you know, at the grocery store counter and putting my food there and having them go, you got no money in your account. And I got to do the walk of shame and go put all the items back in the grocery cart and, and go a couple of days without having any food until I get some money. Like I've had all of those things. Um, and so, you know, I've worked my, I, I worked my ass off to make sure that I could be lucky. 
Well, do you want? I, I would love to hear more about this because this is this is your origin story, right? Like you didn't always start out the hard charging, you know, yeah. focused on mission kind of man serving uh, as a father to to hundreds of thousands of, of boys and girls around the world. Like, like where did? Well, you, a, yeah, there's the same well, world. I was a dipshit. I was a dipshit. You go through that, you know. If I, like I had good, you know, look. I mean, growing up, I was in a middle class family, you know, in the Bay, in the Bay area too. By the way, where did you grow up? You went to go to Stanford and you went to the Jesuit, but where did you grow up? I grew up in Phoenix. You grew up in Phoenix. Okay. Got it. Uh, cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I grew up out, you know, Bay area ish and, um, middle-class home and everything was fine. We were provide, we were roof over our head and, you know, parents were, uh, my parents split, but mom was, mom was rad and super hardworking. And, um, dad was a, a not rad, uh, <laughs> was a very intense, very hard guy. You know, I always tell people if they've ever seen Rocky four, right. If you've ever seen Rocky four, when he's out training to fight the Russian, he's got the beard suit, you know, so Stallone super jacked, right. That's what my dad looked like, but he was an asshole. So it was like, he was an intimidating, he was a hard dude, you know, prison guard. Um, and, uh, just kind of a hard guy was abusive and, you know, physically, verbally, um, that whole, that whole story. So we had that to deal with, but we're also okay. You know, and so grew up, school was very easy for me. I made friends very easily. Um, I figured out the game of school early. So I got my straight A's. Teachers loved me. I got along with everybody. Um, so that was all good. But since I got straight A's and knew how to play that game, it was more about sports and girls. And and then, you know, so you, you do some stupid stuff in there when you got the multiple girlfriends and you're getting into the fights and you're going off and doing, you know, you're doing dumb stuff like that. I was being, I was being the stereotypical dumb teenager because I had no purpose. I had no, nothing to drive forward. What? Everything's going to work out, man. I'm getting my straight A's. So of course everything's going to work out. But then you graduate high school and I'm like, shit, I haven't, I don't, I guess everybody goes to college next, right? Like that's the next step. So I guess I'll go to college. And college was much of the same. I'm getting my straight A's. I'm not learning anything, but I'm getting my straight A's. But I'm getting really good at sports. I'm getting really good at girls. And that's definitely <laughs> the focus. Now I'm having to work three or four jobs at a time because I didn't want to take any money from my, my parents. Sure. That was one thing. At least I had that. And I, I really attribute that, honestly, to more of the martial arts that I did growing up too. I was very much into martial arts and combatives and kickboxing and things growing up. So I had kind of this chip on my shoulder of, no, I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, so don't pay for anything. I'm moving out at 17, going to college. I will pay for my own college. I will pay for my own apartment. I will, I will do all of that. So I was hell bent on that, which I'm very thankful for that. That's part of the reason I went homeless because I would not ask for help. Would my parents have helped me? Sure. They would have. I didn't want it though. I wanted to, you know, I had been the one screwing around and going on deciding, ah, maybe I don't need that third job. I just need that second one because the third job is getting away of me going out with all the girls that I want to go out with. Right. So I'm going to drop that job, which means you lose some money, which means shit, I can no longer afford this, which means then I crash my car because I'm acting like an, an idiot. And now I got to go buy this piece of junk car. And so now, you know, so it's just this, you go down these mistakes, um, which are part of it. Now I wish I had been able to learn these lessons and make these mistakes in a different environment where the, repercussions weren't as severe as they were, but I, I didn't learn it then. I mm -hmm. learned it in my twenties, you know? And so, um, you know, I ultimately went down like, okay, well, I'm going to have to get a job once I get out of college and I actually was going to go into the secret service. 
went through the whole background process of the secret service my senior year got a conditional job offer just needed to graduate from college and then i was going to be there talk to a secret service agent who talked me out of it so then i graduated with no job and had to figure it out you know and so um again it was a couple years of living you know skating around job to job living on people's couches some of that time and just having to figure out who i was because i surely didn't learn it in school um again the focus was sports and girls period. Mm -hmm. Right. So everything else is just a, a means to an end to make sure those two things kept going, you know? So I wasn't a man yet uh, until I started figuring that out and taking on those responsibilities and going to do this. I got to figure this, I got to figure this out. And it was just a product of me being sick of my own bullshit. There was no magic moment. There was no guy that came through and became my mentor. It was the reading. It was diving in. It was learning more about who God was. It was all those things that went, okay, this is who God is. You got these guys that are doing this. And it's because they made decisions. Some of these guys had way harder lives than I had, you know, I need to, I need to step up my game and just change who I am as an individual. I'm not a bad person. I'm just, you know, I'm not focused. So I just need to focus on something and see what happens. And so that's what I did, you know, and it just led, ended up leading me here. Well, this sounds very familiar. Although I took a different, I took a different path. Like for me, there, there was no sports. There was no girls. It was just, yeah. school. it was just school. But I also reached a yeah. stage in my twenties where I had no idea who I was. And sure. I need to fuck off and I need to make a bunch of mistakes and yep. you know what I needed to almost be homeless. You know, I had a, a degree from Stanford university. I just graduated. Of course, this is 2002. So the dot com crash, everything was yep. economically in the Bay area, as you probably recall. And I was like, yep. I'm, I'm running out of money. I guess I just got to get a job at bed, bath and beyond doing retail so that I don't have to go home and home with my parents. You know what I mean? Bingo. It's just like, Bingo. Oh, your bed, bath, your bed, bath and beyond dude was my Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> <laughs> I would take Abercrombie over there. <laughs> oh shit! Well, I'll tell you what. The one good thing that came out of that is that's where I met my wife. So uh, there you go. So I don't. I have no regrets about it. But yeah, dude, that's exactly it. That's a story. It's a story for you know. It's a similar trajectory for so many people, and then some figure it out, and some don't. Right? Some then fall into a path, and they just get stuck because they go, okay, well, I guess that's where I am now, right? And so there's so many people that now, 20 years later they're still at their bed, bath and beyond, or they're still at their Chick-fil-A or they're still, not that those are bad places, mm -hmm. but it's a bad place if you don't want to be there. Right. Mm -hmm. I've been on a private jet with a guy that owned the private jet because he owns, you know, a community bank in the Midwest. And he was crying about his life because it just got placed in front of him and he just followed the footsteps, but mm -hmm. he was miserable. Right. So any place is a bad place if that's not the place you want to be. Right. And okay. so that's the kind of the story for so many people. And they don't ever get to the point of being able to be intentional about driving it the other way. I can tell you that gets scary and it gets harder if you have to do it later. It got harder for me to have to be intentional about dropping my six figure public school administrator position to move forward to the next step of taking a, you know, $30,000 a year private school teacher job because I wanted to shift what I was doing in education and I've got a wife to take care of and we just had our first baby. Mm. That's a much harder decision to make. Shit, man, what if I could have figured these things out, who I was, made a decision, failed, done, what if I could have done that at 14, 15 while I was in school and learned those lessons in a much safer way? Again, that's why Acton Academy, you know, that's avoid all of that shit that we went through. Well, you, that's funny because I was just thinking that, you know, as we, uh, as we started the conversation, we were talking about, is it difficult to break young men and your young students, you know, from, from a lot of these ideas? Sorry about the, my microphone. 
is from a lot of these ideas. You say, well, it really depends on the parents. And so now we're back to the sort of the place where we are, where it's like, yeah. we have a lot of ideas that we need to, to break men, young men and women, and older men and women of so that they get their lives together. Yep, that's exactly it. And that's, again, part of what that cycle that's being perpetuated. We have so many broken young people. A big part of the reason, yes, the school system, culturally where we are is a mess. All of those things. Hey, guess what? A lot of our adults are broken too. Mm-hmm. So of course we got broken people. We have more broken adults than we've ever had, more purposeless adults than we've ever had, which means more purposeless young people. Mm-hmm. Well, you're talking about Bedros and, and some of the other men's organizations, and it seems like you have this really, um, you have this really vertically, or sorry, horizontally, horizontally integrated view of what's going on in these worlds with all these different men's organizations doing various things. What does it look like from where you're at, seeing all these men, you know, and I'm, I'm one of them asking these questions, like, how do we fix this? Yeah, it's it's this. It's doing what we're doing. Yeah. It's talking about this. It's not being afraid to do. I mean, that's really where, you know, any movement starts with people moving, you know, mm-hmm. and, and talking about it and actually putting things into action. The problem with people in general is people like to talk, but then they like to go back to comfort, right? They like to complain, but mm-hmm. they like to go back to comfort, right? We've been talking about, you know, the Bible, people get taken out of Egypt, they get taken out of slavery. And then what's the first thing they do is they go, ah, God, your voice is too loud. Can you please go back behind that? You know, we want to get the golden calf out. We want to go back to our comfort. We want to go back to our enslavement. It's the story of the world. People want to go back to their comfort and their enslavement. So it takes men who are willing to get out of that comfort zone, be uncomfortable, live in the uncomfortability, piss people off in the long run, but they're the ones that are end up making change for anybody else. So we're doing it. You know, it's this, it's by building these schools, it's having these conversations, it's running these podcasts, it's writing these books, it's creating these programs, it's doing all of this Um, and understanding that some people are just never, ever going to take the red freaking bill. Yeah, they're not coming, they're not coming along. Hell no. Yep. At all. Where do you think we go from here? In what regard? Mm, Well, let's see. Let's start with as men. Start there. It's this, man. We need to get more guys like this. It's recruiting more guys like this. It's building up young guys like this. I can look at the young men in Apogee and I can tell you right now, the ones that as they get through the program, I'm going to go, cool, man, you are now a disciple and you are going to go out and here's what you're going to do to go build up more young men around you, right? It's that. It's building out these disciples in any ways that we can. Um, we're going to get some men that are going to figure it out along the way, and they're going to they're going to switch. It's going to you know it's this this Renaissance project, right? You're going to you're going to impact some men that are going to then go impact other men, um, and we're going to do the same thing. You're going to impact these men. I'm going to impact as many of these young men as I can, um, and it's going to be through that discipleship, man. That anything changes in any regard, period. Okay. And now where are we, where are we going in terms of education? Acton Academy will be a household name in a few years and you will have a decision to make, um, period. We're just, wherever you are, you will have a decision to make to either play this traditional part. And by the way, Acton Academy becoming a household name then puts us really on the radar of all these other traditional programs that'll really try to do things to shut us down. Um, no matter what, whatever that looks like in terms of like regulations, um, to try to eliminate, you know, eliminate the ability to private school, eliminating the ability to homeschool. Um, all that shit is coming down the pipe. All of it is. 
um, and we will be part of the reason. And so people will, um, you know, have a really hard decision to make on what do I do with my kids? Um, and you will see again, a, a deep chasm. You will see people that are going to go ahead and go the harder route and, and do this. And you'll see people that'll stay comfortable and there'll be more carrots dangled as to why you got to have your kid, you know, in a public school early free is always the big carrot, you know, but it is what it is. So you're going to see that take place, but Acton will be more and more of a household name. You'll see more and more people make that shift. So, and you'll see college go away, by the way. I'll say, say more, more and more. Yeah, more and more. You'll have Stanford will stick around. Yeah. MIT will stick. Harvard will stick around. Princeton will stick around. They got a billion dollars, you know, that come in every year and they got these giant freaking endowments. They got, they're going to stick around, man. They're their brands. So they're going to stay. Um, your, your smaller colleges will either die or they're going to combine with other colleges. They'll merge. And I've already talked to a number of professors, a number of people in, in you know, a number of colleges across the country. They're going to, um, you know, they'll have to start offering not just degrees, but certifications, specialty programs, right? Like, okay, you want to be, uh, you know, a veterinarian, you don't need to take a geology class and learn about rocks. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to go ahead and make it so your degree here is just related specifically to you doing that, but they're going to have to offer that because people are going to realize, wait a second, outside of a very few careers that legally I need a degree for, I can get all the information I want, the skills that I want without going to college for it. A lot of times I can get them for free. I can find them in other areas. So why would I not just do that? Especially as you got some of your big box corporations that are starting to go, well, shit, college, it's not working. I'm not getting college grads. So what if I help young people come out at 18, they come in and do an apprenticeship here at American Eagle and we teach them to be an executive here just straight from the get-go learning in our system, right? You got more and more of those things. So it's going to it's gonna really level the playing field. It's going to cause, cause college to have to shift to be relevant, especially as, as the younger generation figures out that it's not. Um, so that's going to be an interesting, interesting thing to see how quickly that plays out too. So when they, so I was curious about when they start to ban or try to make homeschooling legal, how is that going to go down? Are they just going to say like, we'll arrest the parents or I mean, what's, what yep. the, and what's the, wow. No, it'll be a, yeah. It'll be a slow boil like always. Right. So what you see here in California is like, okay, if you're going to go to public school or private school, uh, you've got to do certain things, right? They have mass, uh, we'll use vaccinations as the example, right? You've got to hit these vaccinations. If you're going to refuse these, which by the way, COVID will be added to that. So all the people right now that are saying, no, I won't take it. Um, cool. Yeah, me. Just me too. Right. Yeah. Just understand that your kids will be quote unquote required to, to attend school. Yeah. Coming. It's coming. Yeah. You don't have any way to avoid it. So, um, they'll do that. They'll start dangling those kind of things. Right. Um, and then people go, okay, well, then I guess I'm just going to go to homeschool. The most common response right now of people that are leaving public is they go to a homeschool charter that allows them to get some funding for the state. They're still technically a private or a, a, a public school student, but they're able to homeschool and they get some of this funding. What will happen now is now you won't be able to get the funding. You won't be able to be connected unless you have, um, you know, you show us proof of getting this, this vaccination and compliance, right? So it's always about you comply and you get, um, I think what you're going to start to see is like a social credit system that'll kind of take place of, of, okay, if you don't get your vaccine, if you're not going to comply around, you know, whatever you're doing at home, as far as sending your kid to a public school, you know, eventually we're going to make that more mandatory. 
we're going to give you, uh, you know, demerits, or you're not going to be able to get, um, you know, your, your, if you're a state worker, you're not going to get your pension. You're not going to be able to get your driver's license. You're not going to be able to travel. You're not going to be all these different measurements of compliance is eventually going to start taking away all of our freedoms to choose all the way down. It'll be a slow boil down to, Hey, homeschool is now illegal in this country. You've got to go to a, a, I have no doubt that they will push to get to that level. Mm -hmm. It's how fast do they get there? How fast do they get people to comply? What are the carrots they can dangle that gets more and more people to jump on board? I know a lot of people that are like, I will never get this COVID vaccine, but I really like to travel. So if I can't fly anymore, I guess I'll get it. Right. So they'll just more and more carrots and more and more people will hit their breaking point where they go, okay, I don't want it, but I'll get it for this. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you'll just have the very few that are really truly just like, F you, I'm not doing it. And then we'll, we'll see if, you know, you and me, maybe, maybe we'll be bunk mates at our re-education camp. I don't know. (laughs) And come and take me. No, that's, that was something that I've been saying for a while. Is anything, anything or anyone that you're not willing to let go of will be used to control you. You Yeah. That's what I'm telling people. It's like, you know, there's a passage in the Bible about this, like mother from mother, brother from sister, you know, it's a, and, and whether or not you want to attribute to any religious reasoning, it's like, look, you got to recognize that like your family and your friends and everything that, that you used to enjoy in February of 2020 is now gone, potentially, potentially. And how are we normally coming back? We're either going up to something better or going down to something worse. And it's really unclear at the moment. I, I do believe that there's a rising tide of consciousness as well that you and I are, are riding and, and many others around us how yep. that plays into the whole the whole dynamic going around us. I have no doubt that they'll make many things that we, as our, as uh, Americans consider our civil liberties, they'll make those things illegal, for, you know, to try and force compliance. And like, I've got, I've got two fingers for them. So. For sure. That's exactly <laughs> it. And it takes people standing up, you know, my buddy Ian Smith standing up in New Jersey, right. Keeping his gym open throughout all of this kind of stuff, man. Love it, dude. I love it. So I talked to him, you know, I'm encouraging him on a, you know, we chat probably on a weekly basis, man, just encouraging him just to continue to do the same. We, we stayed open. The kids aren't masked. They're not doing distancing thing. They're for fun. They're here. They're crushing. They're going. We had the state has come to us and be like, Hey, you know, we know during COVID you need to shut down. You just, Nope. Sorry. We don't have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not going to And We've figured out ways, you know, we've been proactively looking for how we're going to be able to do all this kind of stuff. And we're leading the charge of our parents and our community is completely on board too. We're not doing it in a, you know, we're not alone. We've got a bunch of people on the same side. So um, it's going to take more people standing up and being willing to not just lay down. It's not, you're not just laying down and just, oh, it's just a mild, you know, mild inconvenience. Nope. It's a slippery slope down a, a shitty path. And there were some people that were saying this about a year ago, like, Hey, this is where this is all going. And now uh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Conspiracy theorists. God, of course. Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, I do. I've been getting the conspiracy you, know, you said, and how does this play out to people pushing? I've been beginning that whole conspiracy theory thing for a while. You know, when I leave public education, when I left public education, you know, whatever, 10 years ago, um, and said, Hey, look, by the way, things are only going to get worse. They're going to have more and more ways to divide. We're going to start throwing in racial things. They're going to start throwing in a sexualization agenda. Mm-hmm. We're going to be teaching our kids about sex early and often. You're going to start throwing in, you know, this whole gender dysphoria. You're going to start throwing all this stuff is coming down the pike, by the way. And they're like, Oh my God, that'll never happen. You know? So it's taken a lot, uh, of, of any maturity I may have gained, um, at this point 
over this last year, not to just keep sprinkling in these, I told you so about that. And I told you so about that, you know, cause I'm not speaking about something that's a, I'm speaking about what I know to be true and what I've seen is going to be playing out. I don't talk about things I don't know about, you know? And so that's, that's it. And it's the same thing, you know, can, conspiracy theorists, that's great. COVID's going to get added to the agenda. If you don't want your kid getting a COVID shot, well, you're going to have to get rid of public. You're going to have to get them out of public school, period. It's coming for everybody. Mandatory. Yeah. Oh, I mean, even, even down to the, even down to the news lately, which is like for years, the quote unquote conspiracy theorists are like, Hey, UFOs are a thing. And now I've got people, I see people tweeting all day about UAPs. It's like, Oh, isn't that, isn't that funny? Cause chalk one up for the conspiracy theorists. You know, it's like, you know, it's so funny, man. It's so crazy. It's insane. It's literally insane. And, and people will still say, ah, you're crazy. It's like, do you, do you, do you want to wake up to anything or are you just, no. Doesn't. Yep. Doesn't matter. You, you show them, you show them all the other, you can show them see it. You can show them the documentation of the CIA creating the term conspiracy theorist mm-hmm. precisely to use it for people to discredit the things that they are actually doing. Right. And, and now have are now public knowledge. You can show them all that. And it's like, okay, cool. But that wouldn't be happening now. All right, cool, man. Sounds good. Mm-hmm. You are that squirrel in my yard. <laughs> yes. I know this feeling. You're the squirrel in my yard. I'm not going to have the conversation anymore. Sounds good, man. Good luck to you. Yeah. I, I've been, I've been trying to reframe. I heard this on a, a podcast, reframing conspiracy theory is secrets that are too big to keep. Cause that's what, that's what people will say. Like, Oh, you know, if this were going on, people would tell about it. It's like, well, people are telling about it. You can look at all this. So it's like secret. People are telling about it. Yeah. So God, 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 God forbid, there's no way society would all get in on something together. Fucking Santa Claus. Right. Like, there's no, right, come on. <laughs> that's a crock. Yeah. It's crock shit. If the media were lying to us, the media would tell us. Of course they would. Absolutely would. Yeah, I'm with you, man. So what's up next for Matt? We're opening campuses, man. Um, Apogee is going to, you know, Tim and I will figure out kind of what direction we go with that. that. Um, But Apogee will continue to grow and we'll keep pouring into young men around the world. And we're opening up as many campuses as we can. Um, I'm opening up two more here in Northern California this, this coming fall. Um, and we're going to just, whatever the market decides, as far as that goes, I think we'll end up opening probably seven, eight, nine, ten 10 around here in the area that are just kind of under the, the umbrella that we're doing. And we'll be a big part of pushing the Acton network forward, you know, um, you know, whether that's just the documentary or whether that is, um, you know, pushing it forward and, and other platforms, podcasts, obviously included, whatever that looks like. Um, it's just pushing all that stuff forward, man. It's the same, it is the same mission. And, uh, and my family will, you know, be a, a big part of a part of that too. So it'd be fun watching them grow while we're doing all this stuff too. So that's it. That's the mission. So for men who are listening to this, we're like, Oh, that's interesting. I might like to start a, an acted Academy. What's involved with starting one? Oh, Jesus. Uh, it's going to be hard. Do it. It's hard. Hardest <laughs> thing you'll ever do. I mean, it's harder. Um, you know, it's, it's ridiculous hard, but you can go to actonacademy.org. Uh, backslash launch and kind of go through the audition or pro- audition process. But um, that whole process is, you know, you got to, we got to, we're trying to weed out, are these people really on this mission? Is it a right fit? Um, you know, are they in it for the right reasons? It is not something that you go into going, okay, well, I'll make a quick buck on this because you won't. It's mm-hmm. hard. You have to build a community. You've got to build a tribe. You've got to convince people that their religion that they have grown up with of public school really is not the way to go. You've got to be able to eloquently speak to that. You've got to be able to find employees that are on board with that. You've got to find pa- families that are actually, you know, able and willing to pay um, to, to come to that, unfortunately, but you've, then you got to figure out this. I mean, it is, it is, 
It is building a business, but on steroids in terms of the difficulty. Um, you know, building a business is hard. Anybody who's done it will tell you entrepreneurship is ridiculously hard. It's why most people don't do it. It's why most people who do it fail because they won't stick it out long enough to do it, right? It's really, really hard. And then you throw in the fact that that business is around raising other people's kids or helping raise other people's kids and you just 10X it. So it's hard. But if you've got your own kids and they're big enough, why? Uh, man, check it out and, and start diving in and going down that uh, going down that rabbit hole, man. So, what sort of what sort of uh, what, what sort of numbers of kids does it take to get an active academy going? I mean, we have do we have owners that'll do it for just a handful, you know, and they really so they get a sustainable thing where they're the guide maybe and they just have 10, 12 kids and that's really what they want is this small little one room schoolhouse and they want to just grow. If you can do that sustainably for yourself and or you know I have I know owners that you know dad's out working or mom's out working and has this job and somebody else is doing this slow grow on building an act and and you know it just adds a couple of kids each year and they want if they want to do that rad go for it. Like that's great. You can do that. Um, if you want to grow fast and grow hard, then it takes you being really, really good at finding the right people. By that, I mean the right guides that are going to work here. That's a DNA of people that believe in the mission and they really genuinely love kids and they can connect with these young people. It's going to take you ruthlessly finding the right parents who are super duper on board with this whole philosophy. You're going to need to be able to eloquently explain what that mission is and what that philosophy looks like. You're going to need to be able to point to other people that are doing it and doing it well. Um, you're going to need to be able to just rally people around that. You're going to need to be able to pour into parents and help them be better people and better parents. Those are not the same thing, mm -hmm. right? Those are two different things. You're going to have to be able to help them do that while help your guides understand that the way they do a good job is by becoming irrelevant because they've hit the system so well that these young people can go run their days, right? It's, it's so much of, uh, it is the most intense game of chess you have ever played in your life. And you're going to have to love every single minute of it. Otherwise you will quit. That sounds amazing. That sounds it's amazing. Yeah. It's the best. It's the best, but it is the hardest kick. And then I would, you know, it has been, it is much easier stepping into the cage and fighting another human being. And that's not an easy thing to do. It is much easier to do that. It is much easier to raise a good human being, which is hard as hell. Every parent will tell you, um, but also extremely rewarding, right? Same thing. It is harder than that, but it's, you know, it's almost as rewarding as raising your own. Well, it's what we're going to build the future off of one way or another, right? You better believe it, brother. Yep. Fantastic. Well, I know yep. you've got a lot of students to look after and a lot of things going on. So I want to be respectful of your time, but did you have anything that you wanted to say to the men listening today? Man, I just, I first, just to you, man, I appreciate you being on the same team and, you know, pouring into other guys and any of these guys, you know, if they've got questions, anything I can do to help on the education side, helping them see things differently for raising their own kids, man, I'm glad to do so. Um, but anybody listening who's on this same journey, man, just keep at it, dude. Don't quit. I mean, that's the biggest thing. That's one of the biggest thing men should, you know, be helping tell other men is don't quit. You're in a world of quitters. Don't quit. If you've got a mission, go get it. If you don't have a mission, go get one, right? And don't quit. So um, that's it, man. Hey, man, I'm right there with you. Yes, sir. Thanks, so where man. can people go to find more out about you and what you do? Go to, if you want to go to websites, it's, you know, Acton, actonacademy.org or Acton Placer or specifically mine, which is A-C-T-O-N. 
P-L-A-C-E-R.com. You can find out about ours. Um, I'm most active probably on, on Instagram and that's just under my name, just under Matt Bodro um, or under Apogee Strong. Uh, and you can go to that website as well. Obviously, if you got a young man that would benefit from that, it's just apogeestrong.com. Um, and then the Essential 11 as well. Um, all of it, again, in the same same mission, and the Essential 11 podcast or and essential11podcast.com. Um, we're in all those places, but it's all the same mission. So, Excellent. I just had one more question, actually. Yeah. I think you're in like a recording studio. Is that part of, is that part of uh, Acton Placer? Yeah, it's our uh, our Roseville campus out here. Actually, had this studio when we bought this building. This studio was already in here, uh, so it was just it was meant to be, man. That we needed to start something up and get a podcast going. So this is where we do the podcast out of here too. So yeah, I had a little recording studio built in. Students can come in and use it too. But yeah, this is this is a uh, my fun. It's a fun spot. It sounds like it. Well, yeah, this is exactly the sort of thing that I think is going to give a lot of hope to a lot of men about you know, what's coming, what's happening, what's already boiling over in the world. And that seems to be losing its mind. There are some men trying to put sanity back into things. Roger that, man. No doubt. Yeah. If you're ever back in this area or you're visiting the Bay Area or whatever, not too far from here, man. Come on, come on by. Show you around. episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.